you like scary movies? If so, you probably enjoyed the 1996 film Scream, and probably at least one of its sequels. Scream was a smart, self-aware slasher about a group of hot young people who knew the genre as well as, if not better, than their audience would. Full of references and allusions to the classics, it's a postmodern love letter to all things horror. Tonight, we're not just talking about one of these movies, we're talking all four. So to do that, the Horror Cult Films podcast have put together a quadrilogy of our own. There's myself, David Smith, and I'm joined by Ross Hughes, Jim Lamming, plus our web mistress, Steph. So come join us on a trip to Woodsboro. Well, thank you. Uh, right, I'm going to tell you something that will shock you all. I think that 1996, my passion for film had come to a sudden halt. That was the year when I'd totally fallen out of watching any film whatsoever. Uh, that was the year, of course, of Euro 96. You know, that famous football tournament had arrived in the UK. Even if you were a football fan, you got swept away by it. You know, Skin and the Deal and the Lightning Seeds, iconic football anthem. It's coming home. You know, everyone knew it, everyone knew it. And it was a glorious, glorious summer as well. I was working away from home with the boys, working nights and drinking on the beach. And Kazindan Scream didn't hit America until December. Then did not get released in the UK until May 1987. You're talking a good 15 months of my life where I didn't watch anything, which, I, which as you guys know, that is unthinkable considering before then just how much of an horror fan I was. So I missed all the hype of Scream. Did not see any trailers, did not read any reviews. I mean, I stopped by an Empire and Total Film. And the first time it came to my attention was when I was in a nightclub. And now this is a true story. Two of my other mates walked in on a Sunday night while the rest of us were by the bar and they were furious at what just happened to them. So I just asked, you know, what's up, guys? And they said they went to a cinema to watch this film called Scream. And I later found out the exact scene. You know where Randy is lying on the couch while watching Halloween mm-hmm. and he is unaware that Ghostface is standing behind him? It's a classic scene. It's the perfect life imitating art, you know, because what is happening on the TV screen is happening to Randy. And my two mates were watching and in that moment, the screen went blank. The projector, <laughs> the projector had broken down. Now, unlike those days where you have multi screens, in the 90s, most small towns had one cinema with two screens. And so when this happened, they basically had their money back and were told to come back the next day. <laughs> now, if you look at Scream and the scene in question, I mean, the plot was already accelerating, you know, towards its climax. So the frustration on their faces was unbelievable. And I just asked at the time, you know, what is Scream? And the look of a gasp on my, on my mate's face, because he's such a film fan, he said six words to me. Think of Wes Craven's new nightmare. 
Fair enough. It's the next logical step. And an explosion went off in my head. You know, a real light bulb moment. The film geek that was hidden inside me for nearly a year just went crazy because he was aware just how much I loved that M Street film. And it's important to mention that film, you know, as I totally get why everyone put Scream as the film that started the slasher meta craze because it is the most popular entry of that period. But for Wes Craven, he started the only in 1994 with that Freddy flick in which he made quite possibly one of the best Nightmare of M Street films of all time. He showed that a boogeyman could be scary again and he demonstrated that the slasher genre was far from dead. Mm-hmm. I know Kevin Williamson took it to the next level two years later, but the stepping stone started right there for this film to develop. Anyway, I went to the cinema the next day, made sure the projector was working, <laughs> sat unaware of what Scream was all about, and he did that rare thing that I haven't seen since Halloween. It made me appreciate what film can be about. I was excited, I was thrilled, and I was totally, totally blown away. And I spent the rest of the year uh, hibernating, catching up on all the films I lost the last 15 months. Oh, so it reinvigorated your passion. It did, because even watching now, as soon as the Jew Buy more picks up that phone... Well, I am back in that cinema as a 20-year-old all over again. When it first came out, I was 10. So I didn't see it at the cinema. This was, as I always bring up, the joys of having older brothers. Jim, what about yourself? Have you always been a fan of Scream? Yeah, if I remember rightly, I think I first watched it when I was at school. Like, literally. I think it must have been end of term, something like that. Was this the old sort of, well, let's all watch a video for in yeah, RE yeah, class? Yeah, wheeling the big telly with the... Uh, <laughs> VCR underneath and one of my friends had happened to have the uh, video cassette on him so I think we watched that in geography <laughs> um, <laughs> so I obviously back then you know still being at school it went over my head a little bit with a lot of the meta references and stuff like that and you go to you get to appreciate it over time but yeah um, nothing quite as rose-tinted and nostalgic as Ross's story but yeah no. A good place to watch this for the first time. Yeah. I think I was much the same as you. When I first saw it, I didn't really appreciate that it was functioning as a comedy film as well. You know, I just thought, oh, this is quite a scary horror. But then, mm. like, you know, I didn't really know anything about these sorts of films. I mean, I was probably 12 when I saw it. I don't think I actually saw it at 10. But at the same time, I was still to really do my kind of journey into the horror genre. And uh, Steph, have you always been a fan of Scream? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm just trying to think when I actually saw it, and it would have been on VHS probably at the back end of the 90s. I think a lot of my experience watching like Nightmare on Elm Street and Slashes, the ones that were like, you know, rated 18 and I was only about like maybe 10 at the time, were normally watched with myself and a couple of my cousins who are about a year or two younger than myself. And our uncle used to uh, (laughs) go to the video shop for (laughs) us and uh, come back with a range of horror videos for us to watch on the weekend and I think it must have been then I think Nightmare on Elm Street was probably the first slasher that I saw but Scream would have been round about this similar time if it came out in 96 then we're probably talking 98 99 maybe I can't quite put my finger on it but no I loved it then and I really appreciate it and still love it today you know what watching it recently for this podcast it's still on the money for me absolutely adore it yes yeah, so which brings you to the first question here we haven't really exchanged views on this during the week. We've made occasional snide comments about the sequels in our Facebook group, but did you guys love this film as much as you always have? Because I know that we're all big fans here. Jim? For me, I, f- I think a lot of films have diminished it for me. Like, a-, a lot of film references and 
it felt very much like I was reading someone's Twitter replies half the time. Because <laughs> films have obviously copied it, emulated, and tried to do better over the years. And I think the whole film referencing has kind of worn out for me a little bit. It's still a cracking film, don't get me wrong, but there are some elements of it that I find a bit tired in this day. Ross, what about yourself? Well, you know, the simple truth is that horror fans are going tired with the same routine of the slash formula. You know, what was a massive genre at the start in the 80s had become tired and old. Uh, the market was littered with the same looking films and it became well known that even the hardened horror fan had enough of ghouls and masks. So for what Scream retrieved in 1996 or 1997 when it came out in the UK, it was just phenomenal. It really exploded the horror genre and I totally love it. It's, it's, it's up there with Halloween in the importance of the genre itself because it created such a slasher boom and and exactly just as Steph said, even watching it now, it still holds up as an incredible film. You just got to look at the first 20 minutes of the movie, which you'll probably talk to in a bit. You know, 99% of horror movies you've watched are not as strong as that opening gambit. Yeah, if I ask you, I want to cut straight to that here. I actually enjoyed this film more on this viewing than I think I ever have before, right? And I don't know if it's an, if it's a getting older thing here, but during the entire opening scene, which I think is the standout scene from the entire franchise, I was thinking to myself, this is really, really horrific because the focus on the parent's pain, the focus on the parent's concern at the end, it, it brings it to a darker place than most slashers would go here. I think it's... As well, you know, we have an immediate rapport of a character. You know, she's sitting there with some popcorn watching a horror film, as most of the audience were probably doing when they first saw this film. There's just something immediately relatable about it. It really quickly establishes this is a film where the people know that films exist. It's not like the sort of a long line of zombie films we never use the word zombie, despite that that would be the immediate point of reference. These are people who love films about killers and are now in one. And uh, I just thought that whole opening, it immediately gave a good mission statement. This is going to be a stock and slash film. It's going to break the fourth wall, but it's also going to be scary as fuck when it wants to be. Like, there are things that irritate me about the film, and I'll be going to them in a wee bit. But I think the opening scene set a tone that the rest of the film pretty much lived up to. You know, it's a really good balance between horror and comedy throughout. Some really tense, well-structured scenes have a real game element to them. You know, the sort of, uh, ooh, where am I kind of vibe. You know, I thought the killer could come out of anywhere. And I think this is why Scream, the original film, is rated 18. And it's quite bizarre all the other films are rated 15. Because if you consider Scream 4, which is more brutal and nastier than all the other films, a bit more bloodier, you know, that's still a 15 rating. And I think the reason why it's got such a high age certificate the original film is because of the first 20 minutes that's the only time they tie franchise when it's a full of proper horror mm. all the all the rest from then on even from parts two three four haven't got any of that kind of scene it's more jokey more playful more like a kiddie kind of horror but the first 20 minutes with drew by more is absolutely fantastic that opening 20 minutes is tragic and it's grisly and violent really it, it's such a gut punch and like you said with the parents coming in later on and they can hear her on the phone oh dad that's just it's absolutely terrifying and awful and you just feel for the victim and for her parents all way through that and like ross said later on it just becomes joke you know with um with, with ghost face tripping over furniture and <laughs> there's comedy elements to it do you know what i mean there's nothing funny about that first 20 minutes not at all and then you've got the big name Drew Barrymore, 
who probably everybody thought was going to be potentially main character, is the one who gets killed off first. But for me, just this movie, watching it, it's... I don't know, it, it kind of captures the 90s for me, and I'm very like nostalgic for that. And it's just everything that's good about that time, it just brings back a lot of memories, probably because I grew up in the 90s. So film itself just really still holds it up, holds up for me and just sort of does a giant shit all over the more recent ones, to be honest. Quite right, Steph. I mean, about Drew Barrymore, her face is even on the cover of the DVD and the poster. She was the big name. And for sort of her to be killed off in the first, you know, 15 minutes was such a shock at the time. I can't even remember a horror film ever having that concept. Of course, later on in the 90s, a lot of films copied it. I mean, we had one slasher film with Kylie Minogue being killed off in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> but, you know, but if you consider after Casey and her boyfriend get slaughtered, there's no more killings until Teacher Fonzie and that odd scene with Tatum and the garbage kill. <laughs> you know, it's quite a tame slash. You know, in, in regards to what follows after that beginning, it's quite tame. And it's just it's just phenomenal that the first 15 minutes of Scream is regarded as one of the greatest in horror, in horror history. And yet, after that, it's more like a, a kiddie kind of flick. Yeah. In a, good, in a good way, in a good way, you know. Well, it's ostensibly using a lot of the visual language of slasher films, something that separates this from a lot of slashers is that everybody knows there's a killer on the loose, whereas in the likes of Friday the 13th, people generally only know that Jason exists when they die. And uh, with Scream, they're able to kind of build up, build up a mystery narrative. Now, I think with this movie here, far more than the other ones, with the possible exception of four, so far more than two or three, I think this functions really well as a mystery. We've got a really likable cast of characters in this movie. You know, people like, uh, well, we have Billy, Stu, we have Tatum. You know, these are characters that we still remember years later in a way that if I asked you to name any of the suspects from part three, you probably couldn't, right? That's true. And it's a great cast of actors playing very memorable roles. And I think a large part of this is down to the small town feel of it. We're not off on a movie set somewhere or anything like this. It's just a bunch of kids. And it's not yet lost control of its own lore. Built up the lore of the background quite organically with uh, Cotton Weary. We know it's not Cotton Weary here, but we're able to see this conflict being personalised. You know, the legacy of Sydney's mother, mother's death that hangs over the entire movie, hangs over the entire franchise as it goes on, in fact. There is a dark undercurrent to the storyline, uh, you know, the mother getting slaughtered, and I just, I, I just went in blind, as I said, I went to that cinema, expecting a Halloween kind of, you know, like a Jason zombie, and when I saw the mask design for the first time, I was absolutely blown away, and I think the who done it as well adds such a great essence to the storyline. You know, that is the fun part of it, trying to guess, especially when you watch Scream for the very first time and you don't know what's coming. I think the latest sequels are sort of spoilt by that because you spend most of the time trying to guess who the killers are than actually enjoying the film. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. But with the original, going in first time, you just got swept away by it all. And, you know, it's, it's, it's got such a magic to it. And to be quite honest, they actually put it off wonderfully well as well, who the killers are. They disguise it really well. You know, it's a curse. When I mentioned all the characters there, but one character I missed out was probably the best character, Randy. Hey. Oh, yes. Character that I, I imagine is uh, there to function as the voice of the audience. You know, Gail as well, actually. What the fuck am I talking about? I miss Gail and Dewey. <laughs> Half the cast, though, you've missed out. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just how, how, how good the cast are of your first one, you know? I mean, with uh, 
of Dewey. It's great that you can use him to kind of establish a small town feel where people know him by his first name. But at the same time, there's a good vulnerability to the characters because you go, right, the only police officer around is also a complete liability. <laughs> but I think it's good as well, like, you know, there's the first one, like you've mentioned, it spends a lot of time with the characters and we get to know them and the friendships mm. and rather than it being kill after kill after kill, which it kind of does end up being in the sequels more, you know, you are kind of waiting for Ghostface to appear and do his thing or her thing. But the first one settled into it more and we got to sort of hang out, hang out with these kids and find out more about them and their relationships. And it felt more like a natural narrative and it was paced a lot better. And as it kind of, with each new film, it sort of lost that a bit. But I think that's why we remember those characters, because we actually grew fond of them in their own little quirky way. There's that weird thing that slasher films can't pull off that you actually care about the characters. If you actually care about those on screen, then you care then if they die or not. And I think Scream actually done wonderfully to portray that. Yeah, like I really missed uh, Tatum when she was dead. She's got a good energy about her that's been missing for the remainder of the film. If I don't have a point about energy... How fucking good a combination are Billy and Stu's killers? Like, you couldn't have two more dissimilar bad guys here. <laughs> like, Billy's just a kind of, uh, he's got that sort of incel vibe about him saying creepy things like, it's all one great big movie. You're just thinking, twat. <laughs> but the, the double red herring thing with him was brilliant, you know, saying, okay, well, he can't do it because he's, he's in jail. Then you see him get stabbed. Like, it, it sets up that he's suspicious from the get-go, and then kind of dares you to suspect him again later on, kills him, and then goes, ha-ha, surprise, motherfucker, it's him. It's brilliant. As soon as he asks for the gun, uh, give me the gun, my, the, the, it was in my head, oh, it's him, it's him. But then I couldn't fathom how, because we saw him got killed. My brain ass in the mouth didn't, didn't even think about two killers. Honestly, and when all of a sudden Stu turned up in, oh my God, it, it, I didn't even think of Stu. I don't know why. And even watching that scene now, it's just, it gives me thrills, you know. And it's, it's very rare a film does that for me. I mean, you're the, you're the slasher king, Ross. Had anybody done two, two killers like that? They probably have, but I can't remember the moment. So thanks for putting me in the spot, spot, uh, spot <laughs> Steph. <laughs> I'll get back to you now. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? There's nothing really that comes to mind on that. So again, I was the same as you, Ross. You just... You just assume it's one person. You don't think there's going to be two people behind it. But, yeah, I mean, you, I love Stu. He's just some giant, lanky goofball. And even to this day, I think I remember watching him in um, the most recent Twin Peaks series, and he popped up in that. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's Stu. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, you know, Matthew Lillard is such a great actor. And I think, I think those characters will always be remembered by horror fans. Where, like I said, with the sequels, it's... Hit a mess. Jim, you're being very quiet there. Have you got strong thoughts of a characterisation of Scream? Well, just following on from Steph, uh, I, I really rate Matthew Lillard as an actor, and he does it so well at really, really making me want to punch him in the face in that film. <laughs> <laughs> no one does it better. Um, and, yeah, the twist where it turns out there's two killers, that's something that will, you know, I'll never forget. It's very original. He, he, well, even to the day, to, to this day, no one else has really done it, have they? It's certainly not in, a, in as big a film as this. No, no, definitely not. But yeah, like I think the one thing I always remember from the first Scream film, other than um, that opening, of course, is the 
reveal and then Stu and Billy stabbing each other. <laughs> it was just so bizarre and unreal. And you'd never see anything else like that. It was so different and it was pretty mind-blowing at the time. This is something that really fucks me off. They stab each other before stabbing her. You're like, come on, you've got a really good plan here, guys. Just kill her first and her dad and then do the stab. <laughs> you don't weaken yourselves, you know? That, I mean, I, I guess you go, well, they're, they're psychotic. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's being psychotic and there's just being completely inefficient. I mean, these guys have been quite good killers so far. And then they keep stabbing themselves in the shoulder before trying to kill their last two people. Like, no! <laughs> they, they, they just deranged. I mean, I, I didn't put too much perspective into that scene. You know, I just thought these two are absolutely nut jobs. And they 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 gone past the stage of any logic of the plan. I do that, that ad lib by Matthew Lillard when the phone hits him. And he says, you hit me with my phone, you dick. And that wasn't supposed to be in the script. <laughs> and I said, my, my parents going to be so mad at me. The fact he came out with that and they kept in the, in, the, in the film is absolutely fantastic. There is such an energy to that, but you, you can forgive any, you know, slight discrepancies in the plot by that point. So. <laughs> but it's like he's proper falling apart in while he's just sort of just sat there dribbling and crying. And you almost feel sorry for him actually forgetting that he's gone around and stabbed a lot of people, you know. <laughs> I actually felt sorry for him in that moment. But 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 like beforehand when they're just stabbing each other, you're thinking, Jesus, what is wrong with these people? I know they've obviously gone around killing other people. And that's that clearly shows us there's you know something not right with them. But it's the fact that they're actually willing to stab each other and be wounded themselves. You, you're like, what am I watching here? It's it's bang on the money. I love it. Billy stabs Stu very hard at one point. Do we reckon that he would have given a shit if Stu had died? No, oh, definitely not. No, definitely not. <laughs> but as with Sydney says to me, you watch too many horror movies, you know, and that just sums up the entire what's happening in that scene. They've, they've just lost the plot and the fact that for like for most of that most of the scream film is the build up to the last half hour it's such mm-hmm. a ride it is you know as soon as we hit that party and you know the ghost face is going to turn up and you say but Tatum which is a silly killing I mean I, I, that's the only part of the, that's the only part of that film which I've never quite liked why she thinks she could climb uh, climb through a cat flap I never know <laughs> <laughs> I know I thought that at the time like surely you don't think you're going to but then again if where are you going to go where could she have gone? Yeah, but to be fair to her, she did come up with the name Ghostface. She's the one that said that word and it stuck towards the entire franchise because up to that moment, we didn't have the name of this man in the white mask. But uh, can we go back to the beginning, because I want to ask us earlier, you know, when he was asked, Ghostface was asking the questions to Casey, did, did any of you get the Friday the 13th question right? Or did you all say Jason? Yeah, no, no, I, I, I was saying we're smugly as a kid going, <laughs> she's fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I sat there, so, I sat there so confident, asked Jason, and I was like, "What? No!" Oh. I could imagine that, like in the heat of the moment, you probably would forget. You know, it's a bit like when you hit the record button for a podcast and you suddenly forget your own name, right? And there's probably an element of that. You know, all right, uh, I'm going to kill you unless you get the killer in front of you for a team. But you just immediately think Jason, and you don't. You know, maybe maybe you would do that in real life, but. Yeah, I was smugly single home. I'm like one of those people who watches a quiz show, just like stupid prick. <laughs> and anytime they get something wrong, that I know right wrong. Well, I think for me, I'd seen Scream before a lot of those other iconic slashes. Uh, prior to that, I hadn't really seen too many. I think I'd seen 
New Nightmare, maybe one or two, like Halloween, that sort of thing. But no, I hadn't seen any of the Friday the 13th uh, prior to seeing Scream, actually. We mentioned the cat flap thing a moment ago, and it is a bit silly, but I like that Ghostface takes a beating throughout the series. You know, it's scrappy, it's relatively realistic. If I were trying to kill someone, that's probably what would happen. Vazzy's being chucked around, Ghostface stumbling, Ghostface getting his ass kicked. And when she tries to escape from the cat flap, yeah, you like to think that you wouldn't try and do that one yourself, but I, I imagine it would be a situation of desperate times call for desperate measures. Maybe I can fit through that. Like, it's not my favourite kill in the series, but it was... Uh, it's, it, it's the best kill in the series that involves a garage door. I <laughs> <laughs> the two, it's much better than the one in part four. All the responses to death, a bit like Urban Legend, people didn't really give a shit about it, right? You know, like you've got them going, ah, oh, yeah, here's how you kill someone, Real, really. It's also quite a nice irony to, uh, to Stu asking why Billy would try and kill his own girlfriend. I say that because Stu, of course, does kill his own girlfriend during the same movie. Was it Stu? Oh, you must have been Stu. Was I thought? No, I said Billy was upstairs when he, he with uh, Sydney. Yeah, I never thought that. I never yeah. thought that actually. For, foreshadowing. Yes, yeah, never all, thought all, that yeah. at all. You know, making wow. a good pawn or clearly. <laughs> <laughs> is it, is it all things like that? You know that your little ten-year-old ears don't really understand at the time, which which you benefit from mm. later on. <laughs> In terms of another likeable aspect of the film, we have not properly mentioned just how good Courtney Cox in this is. For me, she's the best performer in the franchise. She plays Gail as Gail's obviously an antagonist, not the villain, but the antagonist. But she's a really likeable antagonist, so it's quite quite rewarding when she goes from that role into repositioning herself as a semi-hero. Really, really good, charismatic screen presence from Courtney Cox who was obviously a lot nastier than she is in Friends, a lot more cutthroat than she is in Friends. And she's such a good wardrobe as well. Oh, absolutely. She's a style icon. <laughs> <laughs> we love a good sort of like super bitch kind of character. You know, like a, a really strong woman who can hold her on and she's just clearly as a journalist, you have mm. to, you know, to get the scoop on everything. And she's such a great character and that her sort of then relationship with um, Dewey in it is great because he obviously comes across as a bit young and, and dumb and but there's they sort of bounce off each other really well and I'm just so pleased that those two have you know have come back time after time throughout the series because we're rooting for him even though she's on the receiving end of um of Sydney's punches a few times she she means well <laughs> even though she might come come about it the wrong way yeah I think with her and Dewey's relationship something I like about that is it's, it is essentially an odd couple pairing but it never really feels like that. You know, both of them feel fleshed out enough that you can buy them as characters rather than types. Yeah, yeah. I can tell they got married in real life because the chemistry between them sparkles and you can see why they carried on, you know, with later sequels. I do like what uh, Courtney Cox said in real life that if she wants to show the kids the life of her husband, you know, the, the father, she just showed them the screen films. Because Scream 1, you know, they start as how they met. Scream 2, I think they got engaged. Scream 2, they were married. And Scream 4, they were divorced. The chemistry between them both is just brilliant. And now you quite rightly said about Courtney Cox, the fact that she starred in Scream in 1986 when everyone just knew her as Monica from Friends. And to play that role brilliantly. And I like the fact as well, she played such an important part towards the end. I mean, they could easily have killed her off or she could easily have disappeared when her news truck hit the tree. 
but the fact that she turned up with a gun and she says, you know, that line, you know, I, I remember the safety pin this time. You fuck or some other guy, you know, it's, it's such a great line. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad the ones who survived survived. I'm, I'm glad they turned up in Scream Two, even though you'd think Dewey would have died at the end of that one, because that guy, that guy <laughs> must have got 15 lives. Uh, he's indestructible, yeah. is Dewey. He's the only guy I know who can wo- walk with a limp in Scream Three and Scream Four. He walks fine. <laughs> Except the opener. I think my favourite, like, horror moment in it is probably. The way that they bring in the 30 second time delay for the camera when they're filming the party, right? Then you've got that bit, of a bit where the see Ghostface come in and he's looking at Randy. And he's like, but this is 30 seconds behind. Stab! Great little set piece. Brief, punchy, and quite sort of sadistically funny. Um, but yeah, like little moments like that were inspired. Climax has got a lot of good tension moments. I mean, when Sydney's in the police car and Ghostface has got the keys. And you know the the car doors would open up and down, and then the boot the boot is opening, and that's a fantastic tension soaked moment. And you know that's not taken away. You know this is Wes Craven on the money throughout there with a fantastic script by Kevin Williamson as well. Um, it, it's like all this all these elements came together and created this, this such iconic film. Jim, do you have any favourite parts of this movie? As I say, I think my favourite part is the end, um, um, as we've already discussed, with the revelation and them just going nuts and stabbing themselves. I think the whole final act uh, is it's Stu's house, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that whole final act is just really, really good. As you say, you've got that brilliant bit of tension and build-up with the 30-second time delay. Although there are a couple of reservations I had with the party in general. Uh, who brings Hellraiser to watch at a party for a start? <laughs> I actually don't think Halloween would be great to watch at a party either. Uh, no, I mean, like, you don't really get... It's about to Halloween, but it's slow Yeah, as but fuck. it's got PJ Soul's tits in it. That's why they add it, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, when you're that age, you do look at things a bit differently, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Did you not also suggest Returning for Living Dead as one of them? Like... If I were at a party as a teenager, that's what I'd want to put on. <laughs> There's only two people in the world who would bring horror films to a party, and that is Randy and Kirby. Mm. Simple as. It's a shame those two don't get uh, it. Yes, yes. You never know. You never know. What about any weird little moments in this? I've got a couple of weird little what-the-fuck moments. Firstly, this, uh, this is going to sound really picky. You know when the curfew's going, you've got red right hand playing, right? It's just something unintentionally funny, but the car goes past, and you've got most people just immediately start packing up for a picnic, right? You're thinking, you dumb fuck. If you know the curfews at that time, then do your picnic earlier. (laughs) (laughs) I've been really pissed off putting my sandwiches away because it just turned six. The the little bit where the the curfew uh, heightened security, but yet Ghostface can still go to a supermarket at one point. (laughs) Like, <laughs> I managed to go into it. You've got Ghostface, like, woo, behind the trees and the woods and stuff. Because you have to still give them a presence, even when nobody's dying. Well, um, are they all putting signs up in their shop windows and stuff, and that saying closed for curfew? I mean, what else are they going to be shut for? If no one else is allowed out, then who's that sign for? Mm, true. <laughs> um, very familiar signs, of course, nowadays, uh, depending upon when people are listening to this. The killer in the toilet. Now, killers in Scream films seem to like toilets quite a lot because this will be a recurring motif. 
How fucking long would they have had to be standing <laughs> there between classes, waiting for Sydney to come in to try and do the kill? Right, that would have to be Stu, wouldn't it? Because she's just run away from Billy. Yeah. So Stu would have to snuck into the toilet, been hovering around. And, and, it's a big school. There's probably multiple sets of <laughs> toilets, right? I, you know, it's got to be somewhere going, all right, Sydney's going to have to come in at some point and I'm going to fucking hover around in my outfit. I mean, maybe he's got in the rucksack. I don't know. Uh, but that whole bit, I, that, that, that just struck me as stupid. Yeah, I thought that. Because like you say, she might not have even gone to the toilet that day. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, she might she might have gone and not spoken oh, and, or made well, noise yeah she might have just gone in and out I mean why would you be waiting all that time yeah I think that's probably true for any film though if you start looking at it you know things can be glaringly obvious that it won't work out in real life but you mm. know let's and it, yeah it is probably when I was watching it this time round and I thought the same thing I thought yeah how long has he been waiting there so that probably was a bit of a silly element to it but then again, screams of comedy, horror isn't it at the end of the day? Although that's probably not meant to be it, you know what I mean? It could have been anyone at that point as well, you know. Mm. So who are we to know until later on? Well said, Jim. <laughs> if I can believe, if I can believe Brody's window in Jaws Four can have a telepathic link with a shark, I can believe I can believe that <laughs> Stu can be sitting in that toilet for six hours waiting for Sydney to go and wash off my face. <laughs> <laughs> I like to imagine a line forming outside by a cubicle, but like, we didn't very fucking ages, you know? Yeah, but he's had the the day before. He's got a really good fucking reading. I mean, it's not like now where he could just be sat on the toilet, you know, looking at Facebook and Twitter all day. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, God, yeah, but the days of using cubicles or toilets in general before smartphones is boring as fuck. <laughs> yeah, you just go to the toilet and then finish. <laughs> Oh, right on the walls. Uh, uh, on that point, has, has anyone got any other slightly silly things about the film? Things that were not huge. It's only that tape at the moment for me. I, I I thought it was silly going back all that time ago. But apart from that, the rest of the film is flawless in my opinion. Stephanie, a five star. I'm, I'm just not a big fan of half the... Uh, I, mean, I mean, a lot of them are just extras and that and bit players, but just the, the attitude, general attitude of the kids. I, I don't know how half of these dudes have got friends, you know. They're all <laughs> fucking assholes. Abs- I, I might have been like that at that age, but watching it, it, it some of these kids are just absolutely repelling. I know the, the fact as well that when they find out that the principals, you know, has been gutted and hung from the goalposts, you know, the first thing is like, yeah, let's go and have a look. It's like you sick fucks, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, these people, these, not like you said, none of them are decent, are they really? There's none except a couple of girls, really, who seem normal. I think the reason we got to do that is the thought of teenagers getting killed off is inherently an unfunny thought. So we have to try and make the film kind of like, like, like it's got to be sort of gleefully dark comedy at points. Mm. You know, you can't have people grieve in this film. Otherwise, I think it would just be a bit too bleak with the subject matter. But it also obviously played into the hands of the movie with, you know, most of the guests fucked off. Yeah, mm. yeah you've, you're just left with, you know, you, you've got the main cast there to be picked off. So, yeah, that, it basically works as clear in the room, doesn't it? This isn't a thing that niggles me. It's just something that's always stuck with me since the first time I watched it. And that's because we don't really have it in this country, but that popcorn. <laughs> I associate <laughs> that popcorn in a pan. 
in that silver foil thing because I think I've only ever seen it once and that was in more recent years. That weirds me out now. Just seeing that anywhere. It's like, oh, shit, Ghostface has got me in the corner because I'm doing fucking popcorn in a pan in this bloody... Oh, God, yeah, that, that, it did not look like an efficient way to make corn. I've never done that before. And I, uh, it, must, nah. it must be an American thing because I'd never, I'd never seen it here, what, until about maybe two years ago. It's a, a nice cultural difference. <laughs> hey, anyone else got anything we want to bring in here? We haven't really mentioned Fonzie. Winkler is such a... Like, like, there's a great little scene you know, where he's going properly rage on the kids, you know, telling them they're being really disrespectful, saying, like, you know, the entire generation screwed up and stuff like that. I just thought, wow, this is, Fonz is really letting himself go with this one. You know, like, the, the sort of coolest guy on screen... And it was such a sort of like an old, ma- an old angry old man sort of role he was in. I thought that was really good. He was my, he was my, he was my first suspect watching. I honestly <laughs> thought, yep, he's the killer. And when you see him in his office later, you just go, to sh- just goes to show that it's double standards from the man again, because he's stood there in front of the mirror with the mask on, going, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's been just as disrespectful as anyone else. What do you think of Wes Craven's cameo as Freddy? That bit was cool, and then yeah, that bit, yeah, that yeah. bit was cool. <laughs> Fred the janitor. Fred the janitor. Really? There's a lot of little moments like that related to the film, and then we could talk about that for hours. Yeah, Kevin Williams clearly does know his horror films, and as I said, you know, even though they were around at the time, this did really, this did really bring the Easter egg culture in, and if all films have followed since. I think Behind the Mask is a film that probably copied Scream in that sense. Every scene has got a little Easter egg in it. Lastly, I just want to say some of the stock and slash bits, I think, are among the best of the genre. Because where you've got, like, the bit where Sydney's uh, in her house, you know, and uh, and, he, and you've got the killer call, calling up, and it was before Billy comes in and then intentionally, presumably intentionally drops his mobile phone, oops, so he can go off to jail. The build-up to that, was absolutely superb. Yes. Yeah, I had the phone call and I think she fell asleep. That's the first time we knew about her mother as well when on the news report. So they started building up. And then I love the bit that uh, Nerve Campbell's as Sydney says, you know, that uh, I don't watch all the films because there was some dumb blonde running up the stairs when she going out to the back door and she does exactly the same five minutes later. It's such, mm. it's such a cool sequence of films. But you say at the, the stalk and slash, it's quite shocking all that there's a lot of snobbery from diehard slash fans who do not appreciate Scream. Really? Even back when, of course, as most of the guys met on the Empire Forum many years ago, there was a lot of slasher fans and all fans who did not like this film because it was not hard enough for them. It was too comical and too jokey and often compared as a Scooby-Doo episode. And that's genuine, that is, honestly. And even to say, I've, I've even got friends who are full horror fanatics and they just I've got no time to scream whatsoever, which I find quite strange and bizarre. Yeah, I sort of get, get the Scooby-Doo angle. I mean, it, but it's not like when you watch a slasher sequel, you know, if I'm sitting there going, all right, I'm going to watch Friday the 13th Part 3, I'm not going to be scared by it. <laughs> I mean, I think Scream. I mean, Scream is better constructed scare scenes than most slashers. It's just it also doesn't take itself as seriously as some of her slashers. And I think that's the problem. If you compare this to something like Halloween, it's chalk and cheese. And if you are such a if you know if you love your blood and guts and everything, and you like proper scare fest, then obviously Scream's not going to be the film for you because obviously Kevin Williamson, Waters, and Wes Craven. If the, if Scream came out and it was it was more more of a serious tone then I don't think it would have done so well because this was such a breath of fresh air. It done something which the slasher formula had, hadn't done. 
even though the meta was was in the Nightmare M Street film a couple of years ago, but before that, but this just took it to another level. You know, you had the comedy elements, you had the guess, the guess who the killer elements is, you had a fantastic young cast, talented cast. The Jason films were basically, the victims were set up to be slaughter for Jason, but every character in Scream has got a storyline, and that's what makes this film so special. I think as well... I've just been thinking about Halloween then and I was going to say something that you'd probably kill me, Ross, so I'm not going to say it. Um, but I think with Scream, you've got, like, you know, the killer is somebody they know. It's somebody, it's, you know, it's, it's from flesh and blood. It's one of their friends, you know. It, it's someone within their circle. And whereas with Halloween, it is very cut and dry who it is. And it's kind of like Jim Lee Curtis, PJ Souls and the rest. Them versus, you know, the shape. Where... With Scream, the killer could be in your house and it could be what, you know, it's one of your mates. You just don't know who it is. Or, you know, it's, it's what somebody in the neighbourhood, isn't it? And I think that's what, in many ways, <laughs> it's all kill me, that I feel like Scream is scarier or feels more real for me than, say, for so- something like Halloween. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I'm on. I'm on. St- I'm on side for this. The, the the thought of the person you just had you just had sex with wants to kill you is scary. From the thought that like uh, a, a superhuman a person that's just escaped a mental asylum wants to kill oh, you. Oh, the yeah, heck! Just, that can be more scary. Can agree to disagree on this. Scream, scream has always been about the fun fact that we all got to agree with that. And we, I mean, the main the main element of the movie trick is to give the viewer a game of guess who the killer is and it did not really need to it does not need to rely on filling the screen full of blood because it's policy with suspense and thrills now i would agree and say it's more of a comedy thriller and that now and again dips his toes into the pool of horror so i do understand those who have never found the love i mean if you love the extreme old classics like suspiria and stuff like that you're not going to take much delight in some kid dressed in a black cape wearing a white mask i do get that but Scream is a total different slash genre to the classics like Halloween. And for you to say this is more scary than Halloween, then I'm absolutely disgusted. <laughs> no, but if you understand where I'm coming from, just from a human, you know, it's easier to fight someone like Michael Myers. It's completely, in, well, in a fashion, disconnected from him. If Sydney's just been shagging a guy, you know, who's her boyfriend, you know, she's in love with. And he, you know, and he turns out to be the one who's been going around stabbing people, and then obviously his, her own mother. I mean, it's just nah. the fact that it could be anybody. That I think that's what probably gets under my skin a little bit more. Believe you me, right? Many girls I disappointed doing sex. I wanted to kill me afterwards. <laughs> 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 so if Michael Myers knocks my door, I'm bloody running the other way. <laughs> It gives it uh, inherently more emotional stakes as well. Sydney can feel betrayed in a way that uh, Laurie doesn't, right? I mean, they do try and rectify this with a frankly ridiculous family angle, but should never have been the feature of Halloween 2, let alone Halloween's 2 through to 8, and then and then both of the remakes. But yeah, I, like, I'm not saying Scream's a better film than Halloween, but I, I, I do think that the... Conflict is more personalised, and I think for me that gives it a, a bit more dramatic impact. Sydney should feel. What do you, what, what did you say? Sydney should feel betrayed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. She absolutely she can feel absolutely betrayed here in a way that, like you know, Laurie isn't going to. She's going to go. She's not going to say, "Oh, Myers, I thought he was a nice guy." <laughs> she should feel blinking guilty because whoever ends up friends with Sydney ends up dead in all the entire films. <laughs> <laughs> 
Speaking of which, let's move on to meet Sydney's new set of friends. So scream two. The way I see it, someone's had to make a sequel. So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. How do we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. Well, let's look at the suspects. I'm not interrupting anything, am I? It's him. He can see us. Do you want to die tonight? Is that the best you can do? Why not set your goals higher, huh? You want to be one of the big boys? Manson? Bundy? OJ? Oh, well, now we're leaving Woodsboro and we're going off to college. Scream 2. Steph, what did you think of Scream 2? Scream 2, well, you know, it's not going to match the height of Scream 1, but bloody hell, what another great opener. You know, this is, again, another opener that I'll always remember, you know, seeing the theatre with Jada Pinkett. I mean, it sort of, you know, the the, the watching... Gail Weathers movie that's uh, book that's been adapted for screen stab, and everybody's running around in ghost face masks, and I totally did not expect what you know what happened on screen, and it was just pure brilliance for me. The film though, well, it has a strong first half, starts going a bit south on the second uh, in the latter half of the movie. It, it kind of loses the quality a bit for me, but. As far as sequels go, I have seen a lot worse and I still rate the Scream 2 quite quite decently. It's never going to match the first one, but a lot a lot of films don't. Jim, how about you? What do you reckon? As a sequel, it's it's great. It, yeah, it doesn't quite match the height of the original. I don't think it ever would have done, but it's a very good film. I'm quite fond of this one, as I first saw it around the time we first had Sky Movies. So I was watching this one quite a lot. I've probably seen this one the most out of all of them, to be honest. Um, I think the opening's quite good, but I've got to say, if I went to the pictures, opening up the doors to that theatre screen and seeing what was going on in there, I'd be turning the fucker around and asking for my money back, I can assure you. Oh, God, what what a bunch of knobs. (laughs) I would be... Like, drunk college kids, I would be out of there like that. Yeah, like, is, is this, like, a common thing in American cinemas? I mean, if it was, I, you know, no wonder Netflix is taking off in a way. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I, I couldn't stand for it. And also, it goes for a piss two minutes after the film start. That is true. You know, if you need to go, you go before, don't you? <laughs> right, here's something, I'm, I'm going to be controversial introduction i don't really like this and i tell you the reason i don't like it even more so than uh stew hanging around the toilet in number one the killer here is relying on a lot of things going on (laughs) the killer is relying on a guy called phil who's going out with someone called maureen to go and take a piss in the cubicle beside him leaving a very clearly marked seat he has to rely on Phil putting his ear up to a glory hole to get stabbed, right? <laughs> Wearing a mask, he can don the mask, go back beside his missus, and then stab her, right? And just like, the names part of this 
it's such a fucking ridiculous thing to add because it's such an underbaked idea of, oh, we're trying to replicate the first one. Cool concept, barely even enters the script. And we have to put up with this idea that, uh, that the killer somehow knew which cubicle Phil would be using. He's going for a piss. A lot of people don't even use a cubicle when they piss, right? He, he, it was entirely down to circumstances beyond his control, but he's even there. <laughs> Uh, anyway, David, <laughs> David, David, logic just goes out the window with these films. Just, 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 just leave it now. <laughs> and don't forget that their little film studies group or whatever it was. You know, it, it, this one's just as self-aware as before, and in fact, possibly sending itself up because they do actually say sequels suck. So mm. you never know. It, it could just be dusting over the fact that there are some discrepancies like that using that as the you know as a fail safe but yeah but this is fair enough I mean as you have film studies a bit I don't think tuition fees should exist but I want to convince the public tuition fees are a good thing I would just show them that as a representation of what college parties consist of <laughs> sorry excuse my uh, outburst about the toilet seat but grind my gears the hair game definitely improved in the sequel mm. uh, gone are all the fringes and you know, every, well, apart from Timothy Oliphant, who just looked like he'd been dragged through a hedge backwards, <laughs> everyone looked a lot better, that's for sure. I think there's even a funny mention about, um, oh no, I don't know, it was Jennifer Aniston, wasn't it, later on with Courtney Cox. I think they were saying like new pictures have gone around of her and she made a joke. That was yeah, Jennifer yeah. Aniston's body. But I was just thinking, the reason you said her cuts then and I re- remember Jennifer Aniston is because everybody at that in the 90s were like going for the Jennifer Aniston haircut, weren't they? Yeah, well, even even Gail's hair in this one was almost a bit too near the knuckle, wasn't it? I think, I think uh, Dewey says it one moment, doesn't it? Or like your streaks or something. Yeah. <laughs> Ross, are you a fan of Scream 2? I am flabbergasted in how anyone can find any criticism of this stunning sequel. <laughs> well, we, we're going to have a fun half-hour When Scale Weathers was making a news report at the end of Scream, the magic of the franchise was over. And I don't mean that in any negative way. Once you delivered such a fantastic masterpiece in Scream, any follow-up will struggle to get that same feeling of wow and originality. James Cameron knew this when he took on the Alien sequel, and he brilliantly just added an S to the title and changed the follow-up from a straight horror to an action film masterpiece, which still contained enough elements of horror to keep everyone happy. Now, I will not argue that Scream to the very beginning, and Scream obviously has the better ending. But in between Scream 2, it's a staggering achievement. And there are some scenes that probably surpass anything the original has to offer. There is one scene that is probably one of Wes Craven's greatest achievements as a director. So, yeah, I totally disagree with anyone saying Scream 2 was not a proper sequel, because at times this is a much better film. Wow. And I know you're looking at me. I know you're looking at me in thing. I go back to the cinema scene. Yeah, I totally get and totally understand. For Phil to put his ear up against the toilet cubicle and he gets stabbed, it's ridiculous. That's that we take them in the garbage scene. I thought he was stupid then. I think he's stupid now, right? But as soon as he sits next to Maureen, that becomes a fantastic set piece. I mean, you've got the events of the now overlapping with the events of the past on the screen. There's a beautiful artistic imagery of Maureen standing in front of the screen while the image of Ghostface is behind her. And there's also a sadness as, well, she's screaming, no one's helping her, they're all looking on, like idiots. You know, but once she dies and that Scream 2 caption comes up, well, 
everyone who loved the original is back on board for what comes next. I mean, actually, where I'm going to agree with you on that is the bit where the people in the audience start taking their masks off as they realise, oh, this is a real death, this isn't banter. I thought that was a really good bit. Can't yeah. talk what they offered in Drew Bymore, so they just went, it is a bit dumb, but it is a strong set piece, and it does set up the film perfectly. you got the music, and then you got you cut then to sit in the end. You know, from that moment, you think, oh, yeah, I'm back in this world, and it's such a great feeling to have. I, I can't, yeah. I cannot see why anyone who loved Scream finds anything to hate about Scream 2. No, I, I agree with that. Um, also, one of the best things about Scream 2 is the character development from those that are coming over from the original as well. Um, Jalen and Dewey really shine in this one, you know, even more than in the previous one. And I like the fact that we get Cotton to feature in this as well. The fact that they bring him along and could even be the killer this time is a really neat bit of writing, I reckon. Yeah, it was it was good thinking of the way they built him up in the first one. Like I think he's a quite clearly a red herring in this one. Like I never suspected him at any point, but I did like that we got a payoff for introducing him early on. And he's also got quite a he's a bit of an asshole, but he's got a bit of a righteous cause here too. You know, he did have to go to jail for a year for something he didn't a crime he didn't commit. And uh, I think that makes him quite an interesting character. It's also interesting that the film explicitly says that it was down to Sydney's testimony, which I think makes uh, Sydney quite an, an interesting character as well, you know, just because we know that she's been fallible here. But it's, it's that rare sequel where there's a continuation from the storyline. You don't get that in many sequels. It's usually a fresh cast and, you know, a, a, a total new fresh concept, even though you keep the same killer. But uh, how can I say... It's been like a soap opera in some ways. You know, you got all this, you got all this cast. Yeah. It is, though. You got mm. all this cast back. It's, I think, the closest franchise that the Scream reminds me of is the Lethal Weapon franchise, in which you share this journey, <laughs> which, in, which it is in some ways, because you share the journey with these characters. You know, by the time you get to Lethal Weapon 4, you know everyone's names and the kids and all that. The same thing happens in Scream. And I, I just, I just love the fact, you know, once you see Sydney in the union and you see Randy turn up and he pokes his head through and, you know, there's another killing. Uh, it's just it's just great to be back and yeah honestly yeah I carry on I, I just I just love it I, I I'm just going to sit here while anyone mocks it and I step in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't I haven't really got anything bad to say about this one um, other than that scene in the cafeteria that was excruciating. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, because if anyone would st- would stand up and start applauding that douchebag. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of wanted him to be the killer at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted him to be killed at that point. <laughs> I feel sorry for Randy because he's always thinking he's got probably a chance with Sydney, and that goes straight out the window again, doesn't it? Uh, his death did hit me hard. Oh, I know. That was, again, that was another sort of probably prominent death scene that out of out the movies that is because you, you get to, you know you grow to love Randy and and all these sort of remarks about the movies and that and. He's such a likable character, and it just happens so quickly, and it's so awful, really. Yeah, like just um, a few scenes before that, he's sat with uh, Dewey in the cafe discussing, you know, who who it could be, what their motives are, and so that was a neat little scene. I, I quite like that, and then to follow it on with that part in the open area with the mobiles and he eventually gets dragged into the van, that was a really, really good build-up. 
And it just goes, I think it, it was trying to show you that no one was safe, despite the fact that wasn't he the only returning character that does get killed off. <laughs> There's two things. The coffee scene I love between Randy, obviously, because he is that Toby Spelling gag, which is one of the greatest gags, you know, in <laughs> any horror. But yeah, the Randy's death really did piss me off the time. But because, you know, it was Randy, everyone loved Randy. But uh, looking back, I was probably annoyed because I did care for that character by killing it. But by killing him off, then Craven and Williamson actually got the reaction they wanted. They regretted it later on. Craven did turn around and say, you know, they shouldn't have killed him off. And I think that's why the latest, the latest series, three or four struggles. Because I think by the time we get to probably Scream 4 or something, maybe Gale or Dewey should be, should be dead by now. But because of such, there's such a bad reaction from killing Randy off. I think these certain characters are a bit safe, you know, these days. Until we get to Scream 5, obviously, which I think one of them will die. But the, be- the, the best thing about Randy's death is it actually happened in the daylight as well, in broad daylight, which, mm. is very, very, which is very rare in a slasher film. So that was a big shock as well. I, I didn't think no one expected him to be dragged in the van behind him. And even then, I was thinking he's going to survive. Yeah, because it's uh-huh. pretty um, in public, isn't it, really? You know, there's, there's people knocking about, isn't there? It's... And I'm yeah. just trying to think. The other ones are a bit done a bit more in secluded places, aren't they? And when nobody else around. So yeah. Well, go. yeah. Look at Sarah Michelle Gellar earlier. See, see, she's alone, and they go with the whole phone stick again, don't they? Mm. Um, that was the best kill in the film, I reckon. It was. It was I, I think it was very funny. But I, I remember when I first watched this. I think the only kill of it that. You know, I actually did shit myself at the time was when Randy was killed because you don't expect it because they're out in the open. So, you know, you, you sat there thinking, well, you know, nothing's going to happen or, or they'll go on into some like, isolated room or whatever. But yeah, to, to see it happen there, you know, I think when I first watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked it was Sarah Michelle Gellar died because obviously she was, she was still, she was playing Buffy then and she was a big, she, she was a big name towards fans. But I always remember that scene was that pivotal moment where she's on the phone to Ghostface and then you see Ghostface behind her. And but while she's talking to Ghostface, the Ghostface behind her is holding the phone and that's the biggest clue in that moment that I thought, there's two killers. And it's from that moment on, then it became a guessing game then, didn't it? You know, who could be these two killers? Who, who were these mm. two killers? Uh, with the senior Sam Michelle Geller, I think for me that was the most intense kill. I did like the Randy one a lot, uh, though I thought the Murder being covered up because there's some guys going past with a boombox. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Sarah Michelle Geller one, that, that was uh, genuinely really tense. So that's a very good spot about, you're right, Ghostface doesn't have a phone in the background there. In fact, here's a bit of the spot. You know what, uh, the Mickey who did it, right? They explicitly mentioned that the kills are filmed. Mickey is carrying mm. a camcorder in all but one scene. I didn't spot that at all. I mean, admittedly, this is, this is, I think it's a huge problem with the film. Mickey's only in about four or five scenes, right? He vanishes for the second half of the film. And you're like, all right, well, it's probably him. The guy, the guy he's not around when all this happens. We said in the last podcast when we talk about Urban Legend, is that a slasher, especially in this blueprint, lives or dies by its reveal. I mean, basically, if you have a shit reveal in the film, we'd be instantly forgotten when the credits roll. Scream 2 did achieve this, though, brilliantly. I think everyone sort of figured Mickey may have been one of them. I certainly did, long, long before. He had that look, he got that crazy little eyes, and yeah, yeah. even from the moment I think about it, it's not going to be Joshua Jackson. They've introduced this Mickey. It's not going to be Randy. So, yeah, so Mickey's the killer. But the gasps from everyone in the cinema when Mrs. Loomis walked out holding a gun at Gale, 
I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, they've nailed it. Because I did not spot that whatsoever. I was so taken aback when she stood out towards the end. And I thought, yeah, well played, Kevin Williamson, well played. Well, we knew she was like some sort of like annoying... I think watching it more recently, a character really stands out because she's the camera sort of focuses on her quite a lot. And you know there's something going on with her. But what? I think it's possibly a bit more... I mean, I suppose in hindsight, because we know it's know who she is now but it seems like she's more such an important character but for what she does in the movie as a journalist as debbie salt isn't it yes yeah. mm-hmm. you think there's got to be more than this there's it's not she, she can't just be there trying to emulate or chase after gail there's got to be something more and i think maybe that's obvious but just going back to what david said when dewey and gail are in the auditorium watching it on the tv and then the other movie comes on footage that they haven't shot well obviously that's tying in with Mickey's film uh, camcorder stuff, isn't it? So, which is not something I kind of put together when I first, you know, was watching it. It was I've seen a lot more now watching the watching the four movies recently than I've done a long time ago. But back in 1987, all this formula of Guess the Killer was still a bit new. I think it was, we we still only had the Scream film, and of course, Scream Two probably came out ten months after. You know, all the other films like Urban Legend were still two years away yet. So even though watching these films, the bit where Gail Weathers says to, you know, Mr. Loomis, you look familiar, do I know you? I mean, that's a pretty big clue but there for the start. But I, I certainly didn't pick up on it. And I was, I even when she, you know, as I said, she stood out and then uh, Sydney goes, Mrs. Loomis. And uh, Mickey goes, Sydney, uh, yes, uh, you know, Billy's mum. It's, yeah, it's ripping off Friday 13th. But it's such a good, it's such a good plot. It really is. I mean, yeah, fantastic. I did like the naturalistic way in which she just goes, Mrs. Loomis. You know, this is a character in her life, and her, she's not shared a scene with her yet. And I thought that was just a way. Yeah, I think I wasn't hugely surprised that Debbie had done it, but I really liked how they, uh, as Steph saying, how they made her mrs loomis you know the way that the way that they tied her doing it into the plot i think that was a, a good thing about it i don't but you guys i think a real problem with this film is about the characters were a lot less likable than they were in the mm. first one i think they were far less distinct and because you've already got our trio well we know none of them are going to have done it i think it's a less tense film it definitely does just feel more like you know who, who is the killer rather than when are they going to strike next but i didn't find the characters that unlikable the only, like the only one i really didn't like was timothy oliphant's character um and he was hardly around really you'd see him a few times um i know like jack o'connell we were meant to suspect him you know is it is it a copycat is it the boyfriend doing it again i mean they keep throwing in those red herrings but i didn't find him that annoying I, you know going back to the first one the, the kids in that were way worse I mean, I'd rather hang out with these kids. I'd rather watch the first one's kids. Well, <laughs> <laughs> from that point of view, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, um, Derek, boyfriend, it, it, it was too too nice, I think, is <laughs> too clean cut, too, too buff, and a friend who was in that um, sorority. They just didn't, they didn't really have much character to them. I, I mean, is that... You know, compared to compared to the ones in the first film, I don't know. They just didn't have a, much depth to them. They weren't dislikable. They were likable, but they felt a bit shallow. Yeah, and a hundred percent agreed. Like I don't think the actors were worse. 
And I did really like going, oh, it's a kid from Stand By Me. But at the same time, they didn't leave as much of an impression. So I cared less when they died. And I was less shocked by who it turned out had done it. Mm. I, I, I think very negative. There's some bits of this I really enjoyed. There's enjoyable commentary on sequels in general. I love the bit where we think that Dewey's dead, you know, where he's been stabbed, you've got the soundproof uh, glass there. The way that he's using his last bit of strength to alert Gale, that was brilliant. Oh, that was heart-wrenching, that. A proper proper upsetting scene, that. There are two scenes in here which is better than Scream. One, which you just mentioned, David, the bulletproof room, which is just fantastic, and Dewey. Because I actually generally thought then, you know, he's he's dead this time, which you obviously proven wrong again. But also the climb over in the police car is a sensational set piece. I mean, they could make 10 more of these films and never produce a moment like that. Witness it for the first time in the cinema. Everyone was just glued to the screen, you know. People were saying, take the mask off, you know, quick, or get out to the police car, you know. it's it's That is one of Wes Craven's greatest achievement as a horror film filmmaker. That scene alone is just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I thought that was a really good sequence, but the killer was totally inept during it. <laughs> and it's weird the way that they somehow manage to sneak behind <laughs> behind Sydney up the road. It's like, how the fuck did they get there? But uh, yeah, I think uh, I, it was a good, it's a good set piece. It's a very set piece heavy film actually. But if you, yeah, you I like sorry, but you think of all the places you think it'd be safe, it's a police car. <laughs> you got two bodyguards. Mm. You got two bodyguards. You know, in front of you, they they taken away from the danger. What you know, what happened up? What happened after that? You think, oh my god, no one's safe. No one is safe. You know, he's not safe anywhere. Yeah, you know, if I was sitting here, I wouldn't care if the car on. I would have pulled pulled that mask over. The game would have been, you know, the game the game would have been over. But it's interesting to see who the killer was in that moment. Was it Miss Loomis or was it uh, Mickey? It was probably the perfect opportunity for it. I mean, I think they have one in every film, don't they, where the killer's there unconscious or whatever. You could quite easily whip the mask off, but they don't. But I think that whole sequence was pretty neat because you've got um, Sydney being seen off by a boyfriend and then you see someone running in the background uh, you think oh fuck is, is he next and you know they drive off and then you see someone moving again and then it turns out it's all his sorority brothers coming to haze him basically uh, it is a bit silly that the killer happened to be at the traffic lights when <laughs> the police stop but that whole sequence from then on yeah I mean that is proper hold your breath time with them climbing over, you just, you, you, you know, it's it was terrifying the first time I saw that. It's proper hair on the back of your neck, you know, fucking what you're doing, just take the mask off and have it done with. But. And I don't think we'd ever sort of had a scene like that, had we? Because, you know, up to then it was Ghostface stabbing everybody and have a couple of deaths in that way with one, with like, so was it like a piece of scaffolding or something gone through his face? Yeah, through his face. Really. You know, it's it's quite quite a different sort of setup to our normal, you know, death scenes in those films. So I thought it was quite different. It was quite a bit left field that we're expecting. So that was quite good. They were very fortunate, uh, the killers, because the film relied upon this college, which I felt was a bit of a generic location. It wasn't anything like as well ca- uh, characterised as uh, Woodsboro, but. This college, they were lucky, had even shiter security than the college in urban legend. (laughs) 
if someone fires a gun and electrocutes her, you know, multiple shots fired, and there's no police or anything. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Blanks, who I'm sure is a dedicated uh, every time listener now, you do not have the the worst purity <laughs> on a college in your film. Or the fact that Ghostface turns up in the middle of when uh, Sydney's doing a play, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great imagery again. It's a great set piece. Uh, you know, I, I can't mm. fault that. But it is a bit daft as well. The old Richie dressed up like Ghostface and also new peers in the middle of it with a gown <laughs> on. You know, and oh uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a nice little touch. But there's daft moments in these films. You just got to go and go with the ride. I was okay with, in theory, with him bringing the theatre in as a location, because, you know, they used, they used this previously with Sydney as a kind of a moment of, or sort of trying to find strength, and then the trauma of uh, Ghostface. They're able to do something with that earlier, so it's good that she's back on stage and is able to kill him. The bit where her and Gail do, like, you know, shoot, 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 after Mickey springs up, like, one of those annoying, uh, you know, those inflatable men in adverts with these waving arms, and, um, <laughs> you know, they kick the shit out of him, it's really good. But, I felt the last uh, confrontation was just a little bit too camp. Like, the whole thing of using the theatre, the the sort of cheesy-looking scenery, the uh, -the over-the-top acting from the killers, this really elaborate soundtrack. None of that worked for me. You know, her beating the killer by, like, knocking down the lights on her. Uh, I don't know. I, I I thought that felt really, really goofy. Yeah, it was very Tom and Jerry, but we've already had Scooby-Doo, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where it kind of, like I say, the, the latter half of the film, or really maybe the last third, just sort of fell apart a bit for me. It it did go a bit daft. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff on that stage was probably styrofoam. I mean, those bricks landing on it. You know, wouldn't have made a scratch, but I have no issues with that finale. I think it's elaborate and silly, just like the rest of the film. Really, <laughs> Jamie, you're my favourite friend today. <laughs> I, I actually forgive you for the final girls, which our listeners will uh, hear about out in, in another podcast another time. I, I I think the I think the last twenty five minutes is absolutely brilliant. It, again, it builds up its momentum. Uh, you know where we lead and after watching Scream the reveals are there I had got no issues whatsoever where the, the finals you know fight on the stage set in I think Miss Loomis and Sydney facing off each other was a great moment and of course Cotton Weary gets to become a hero and completes a story arc which yeah I, I loved it I don't know if um, any of you guys know about the production I understand that this film was still being written as it was being shot right because it was for a leak at one point they said that at the beginning but later on I think in 2013 Ken Williams denied it and he said that uh, they'd done a lot of Debbie scripts and the one that was leaked well, were in the actual the final th- the very version we saw they've done the same now with Scream 5 they've actually filmed multiple multiple scenes and multiple endings so if anything gets leaked there's a very very good chance we never, we're not going to know about it. Mm. Has anyone else got anything else you want to add about Scream 2? It was nice to see David Warner appear in it as Sydney's teacher or theatre producer guy. He was he was my se- he was my second suspect. Really? <laughs> At first, yeah, when I first watched the cinema, I was thinking, oh, David Warner's there, of course, who played the original Freddy Krueger. 
that's a bit of a horror thing but there then obviously obviously I was well I was well off there when I so I didn't guess who the second killer was but David Warner was my first suspect alongside Mickey by the sounds of it you've just got trust issues with teachers I think <laughs> <laughs> well I am from Wales <laughs> <laughs> I didn't suspect it was Warner. I I know he's been a Yeoman and so on, but I was like, he's also in Star Trek. I don't buy him as a killer. <laughs> but hey. Oh, one last thing, which is also true about the first one. Wes Craven, Horror Master, really shit at choosing songs. <laughs> now, I liked Red Right Hand appearing, but the songs he has over the credits are really, really bad. I don't know what he's thinking. They just stopped that <laughs> error, I think, aren't they? Just very much <laughs> of that time i mean but if it, you know if this series has got anything consistent it's that the songs they're using are very much of that time they were made because i wouldn't listen to them today i can tell you that <laughs> he even uses creed in the <laughs> next one scream free just one question do you think it's over sydney do you <laughs> We are not in any danger, says Candy, page 15. Who the fuck is this? Somebody who killed to know where Sidney Prescott is. Well, we've reached what's probably the most controversial, and by controversial, I mean rubbish, entry in the franchise. Jim, what did you think of Scream 3? Uh, not a great deal, so we fair. Well, nothing uh, positive, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um... Obviously, it's the one I've seen the least out of all of them. It's just not very good overall. Um, terrible writing. I absolutely hate the character development in this one. It ended so well for Sydney, Dale and Dewey, even Cotton, uh, who is oft in the opening in this one. I've got to say, I do like the name of his TV show. That's quite funny. 100% <laughs> Cotton. I watch that. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, it, yeah, it was pretty neat. What would suspect really have that? <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine. I can't think of any of of any murder suspects. Well, tell you what. Clearly, Diane Sawyer has that effect. You can have your own uh, TV show after that. To be fair, he was. Uh, it, this is probably the better bit of character development because in Scream Two, he was after his you know fifteen minutes of fame, wasn't he? He wanted his interview with Sydney to clear his name on the TV. And then, obviously, he's taken the ball and run with it here. So he's got his own chat show, which, you know, given the, the era, is you, you wouldn't put it past them. You know, they, they were huge back then, because I know the wife watched plenty of them, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's probably the one positive I've got for that is uh, opening. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the characters, especially Gail and Dewey, I felt, were really detrimental to how we left them off in the previous film. It just feels like they just ripped it up and started again with them, basically. Uh, and yeah, it's just lots of touches. I mean, you, you mentioned it with the second one, but this one it is widely known that there were script issues even when it was shooting. But yeah, it's just, it's just not very good. 
So I understand for your place, Kevin Williamson, as it went on, or, or they got rid of they changed the script No, or no, right? uh, Kevin Williamson left because he was going to film his own Teaching Miss Tingle, and they took on Evan Kruger because, obviously, the massive success of Arlington Wood, which contains, you know, um, a fantastic last 50 minutes. So you can tell that the film badly misses Williamson. Russell, were you a fan of Scream Free at all? Right, it, right. It was the start of the new millennium, you know. So a film came out that made all horror fans spit in rage. It had a rush story with no thought or substance. A sequel that every single fan honestly doesn't want to exist or believe it. It's around. But I'm not talking about Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. I'm talking about Scream 3. Oh, man. This film. This is the only one. The Start again. The scariest thing about this film is Courtney Cox's haircut, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But this is the only one where right from the off, it just feels wrong. I mean, the tone of it. I hate the fact they kill off Cotton Weeby. I think it was a massive misstep. I don't understand why they've done it. This is a character who survived being framed, then becoming a hero in Scream 2, and then just be killed off right away as a cheap gimmick, just left a bitter aftertaste for me, even before the credit roll. I absolutely hate the introduction of the voice changer. It's such an awful gimmick that I often expected Ethan Hunt to be revealed as the killer because we're going we're going towards you know towards Mission Impossible territory. Uh, I just I just don't like this film at all. I, and that, vo- that voice changer is fucking dire. I, it, it worked in the first scene. I thought, yeah, that's quite funny. But the fact they took the ball and ran with it. I mean, as you mentioned, Mission Impossible. Was it the second one where it felt like every five minutes they were taking off the face? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> the biggest po- the, sorry, the biggest problem I got this film is it, it feels as if no one wants to star in it. I mean, uh, you've got Campbell herself. She was contracted to only appear in twenty for twenty days. She, she's barely in the first exactly, half. that's the reason why they only had 20 days to, they only had it for 20 days she feels as if she can't be bothered in it and I, that goes with all of them oh, I just wish I can understand the real life tragedy affected this film and this is why the studio opted for a more comedy tone than horror but why didn't they just put why didn't they just put the brakes in it if anyone's uh, wondering that real life tragedy was out of a Columbine shooting right Where being, yes it's like like Blanks was saying in our interview with him, where in the wake of Columbine, people didn't want to have young people getting killed on screen. In fact, I saw uh, behind the scenes, apparently, there was actually a suggestion that there was no kills in this, and Wes Craven had to step in and go, look, the audience in Scream expects kills. We're not doing Scream without kills. But you, you can see, I mean, the background, as you said, you know, the studio insisted on a comedy tone and you do feel Craven and Kruger had an impossible job, especially in years since the possibilities of what the third film could have been about. I mean, Matthew Lillard was approached to return as Stu at one point. You know, he would have been revealed as the main villain behind the scenes from his jail cell. Uh, from his jail cell. Also, Kevin Williamson admitted in 2013 his original script would have seen the killers be a stab fan club of Woodsbrookens. You know, all the members of the club would have been involved in the killings, and the final twist of the movie was when Sydney walked into the house after Ghostface had killed everyone, and they all rose up. None of them were actually dead, and they planned the whole thing. So it's a kind of a rip-off of an alien of a April Fool's Day, you know, movie, which would have been quite cool. But even those two concepts, with Stu coming back and the the kids doing it, is a hell of a lot better than what we got in this film. This is a weak, silly. This is the only film where I agree with the Slasher Brigade where it's more like a Scooby-Doo film. 
because it's so tame and it's the one I could actually not watch again. Uh, I was sitting there raging going, a car explosion in a slasher. <laughs> Ste- Steph, what did you recommend? Re- what- Steph, what did you make of Scream Free? Uh, I'm just infuriated that you, you made me watch it again, to be honest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, guys, we're going to do a podcast on the Scream movies. I'm like, yeah, one and two. And they're like, no, all four. I'm like, <laughs> fuck's sake. Um, yeah, it's dire. Like Ross has mentioned and and, and and yourselves, it's it does feel like Courtney Cox, um, David Arquette, um, and Evie Campbell have just come back because they've had to. There's nothing really. I don't think there's anything good you can say about it. And oh my god, the most annoying character of all. And we're not talking about the actress who plays Courtney. Parker Parker Posey. Yeah, Parker Posey. Yeah. I'm not talking her. I'm talking about the bloody killer bloody uh. Sydney's half-brother or whatever the friggin' Ellie is. It's, oh, whiny little shit. Someone's just popped bullet in his head at the beginning of the film and then we didn't have to bloody watch it. I, I just, I, it's just, I don't think there's anything good about this movie. And I completely you know agree. You know what's, what's potentially nearly as bad as, what's this bloody name? Ro- not Roman. Roman. Name? Roman, yeah. Is Ghost Maureen. Oh, fuck oh, yeah. for fuck's sake! That bloody Dream ocean. Sequences. That that was that was that is the one scene that sums up the change of concept. I mean, a scream a scream movie should never have an ill judged dream sequence. It felt like a J horror moment, which does not belong. And I, and I totally agree with you there. Uh, that for me, uh, if we didn't have a film a follow up to this, that was so good. Then. Scream 3, that was the moment where the, the franchise would have jumped the shock. I reckon as far as this one goes, I'd agree with all the criticism you guys are seeing here. Like, there are some things I quite like about this, and there's not many of them. I thought the opening scene was okay, because slasher films really don't lend themselves to recurring protagonists. We have to believe that anyone can die. It's Wes Craven himself, as you said, audiences have to fear the director. And the, by this point, we don't think any of the three leads is going to die. And we'll come to this again when we're talking about Scream 4. But, you know, basically the more films you get, the less tension you get. And with Cotton Weary, he'd been with the films since the first. They could kill him, and it still feels like it matters. I also thought the voice changer, while it's completely silly... It added a layer of uh, a kind of a new aspect to it. Like I was okay with it in concept, just because it meant that oh, you can't even trust the person you're speaking to, right? You have to physically be in a room with them to know it's them, and the whole film relies upon people getting calls and showing up places. So I thought that was a good idea, but I don't think it was done well. I think it was very little tension to the film at all. Oh, I I, I can't be found any positivity about Scream Three. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, no, that, that, the voice gimmick lost it for me. I don't understand why you need a voice gimmick when you've got the fantastic vocals of Ghostface himself. You know, you know I, I, it's a silly, silly moment. There are some good moments. It's not all doom room. There's a great Star Wars gag, you know, which with Kyrie Fisher. That's mm. when I was brilliant. And probably it has got one of my favourite scenes in the franchise. And it's the moment where Sydney is on the film set, sitting on what's supposed to be an old bedroom, you know, and you've got, you've got the, the voiceover of Billy Loomis. 
I've always liked Derby. I liked it at the beginning. And when I watched it this week again, I'm thinking, yeah, that's a, that's a quite a cool moment. Maybe because it reminds you of the glory days. I don't know. But there's nothing of note. As soon as that knife flies through the air and it's Dewey on the forehead, they're killing him. I realise that this film, as this franchise, is borderline becoming ridiculous. And this is a shame to say because the first two were really good. It's the Alien 3 of the screen films. No, I'm sorry, it's the Alien Resurrection of the screen films. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jim. <laughs> sorry, Jim, I apologise. <laughs> I think like, the, the movie plot uh, thing is a, an okay idea of, like, oh, uh, you, you can have fun seeing, like, Hughes Dewey dating the actor who plays who uh, who, who plays Gail, you know. Uh, here's other people take, playing the same roles, and you've got a funny version of like the movie versions of them in the movie. It's an okay idea. The movie set bit's very cool, but it also makes it completely unrelatable. You know, you're leaving like small town paranoia to come to this thing of like a large mansion where a bunch of movie stars are hanging around. It's totally unfamiliar to the audience and just feels like Hollywood navel-gazing the entire time. Yeah. And also, with Roman, Steph was totally right but he's a, he was whiny. He's whiny and uncharismatic. His motive is so stupid as well. Of the grounds, that he's trying to like, oh, uh, I want to have your life or whatever. He's much more successful <laughs> than Sydney. Yeah. That, that that pissed me off. Like, he, he was, his motivation was shit. He was an absolutely snivelling little sod with no redeeming features. Uh, how how can you have any sympathy towards him? And like, other than him telling Sydney what his motivation is, why why do we need to believe him for a start? And why is he throwing away this absolutely incredible career he's got, ruining it for himself in the process? over something that, you know, he just thinks happened rather than is, you know, factual evidence. That sort of, I mean, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a slasher where men to believe that. But yeah, that, that whole motivation and everything at the end just, it's a, what the fuck? What year did this come out? Was this 2000? Yes. If it's right. In, uh, in this era, following the kind of the Me Too revelations, Following the revelations about Harvey Weinstein in particular here, this film takes on a new meaning because it frequently talks about sexual exploitation in Hollywood. Now, sometimes it does not a flippant way, like Carrie Fisher saying the person who shagged George Lucas yeah. ended up getting the role, obviously referring to herself. But multiple characters in this refer to situations where they've had to sleep with someone to get a role. Right? We know that Milton just talking about Ah, oh, yeah, you know, this just happened, but it was a different era, it was a different time, an excuse that you know people have made in real life as well. I think one of the problems with this, though, is that the sexual assault plot is totally out of sync with the Scooby-Doo tone of the film. Yeah. It does feel like it's kind of come from nowhere as well. I mean, because obviously they spend a lot of time doing that sort of background research into finding out where these photographs have come from and obviously finding out about Maureen's previous role as a, an actress. And they, they spent a lot of time sort of building that up. And then the sort of the element with Roman and that, it just kind of all got shoved under the carpet a bit. And I, I, it's, it's a bit weird because it, mm. it takes it, 
it brings like a, a really dark aspect to it. I know the previous movies have obviously had Maureen Prescott, you know, dying and and then they've you know accused her of sleeping around and things like that. It, but I just I, I didn't like the fact that they kept bringing it back to Sydney's mum. And I know obviously they've they've linked linked it with things with Roman and his relationship with her and being family and that. But I don't know. I I just didn't I just didn't find that whole storyline fitting of the of the series. It just felt weird. Yeah, a lot of it seemed to be little off the cuff throwaway gags as well. Who was it that was playing Sydney in the film? Was it um, Emily Mortimer's yeah, Emily Mortimer's yeah. character, yeah. Um she said she had to sleep with was it Milton to get the part. Yeah. Um and that was delivered as like a joke, wasn't it? <laughs> so uh, yeah, it just seemed a lot of that side of it was just done as little gags more than anything. It was far too stupid to be saying anything profound. I mean, it's interesting that Harvey uh, Weinstein was, of course, a producer of this film. Jesus. It makes me wonder what Kevin Williamson knew when he was writing it. Mm. Yeah, as, as I say, it makes it look like it's commonplace and standard, even at this point. Mm. Well, so basically they wanted Scream 3 not to be blood and guts because he didn't want to offend anyone. But 19 years later, yeah, it's relevant. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes a true life story. I think there's... So a lot of like okay in jokes with like some of the humor does land, but it's like you've got no control over the actual plot, you know. Mm. Like a lot of it just feels like a series of little sketches or bits. And while we do have this kind of mystery element, because you've got three recurring characters, and then you have what's her face, the uh, one who's playing Gail in the film, Parker Posey. Yes, her Parker Posey, right? So you've got four detectives in this film. Because they're like, hoo-hoo, Gail, Gail, that'll be funny, which it is at first. But you've got four detectives in this film, and the suspects, the very, very few suspects we have, they're so nondescript, they mostly get like one or two scenes each. It's not like the first few ingratiated in the group. I think everyone knew that Kincaid, you know, Patrick Dempsey, were going to be the killer. And I, I think he's totally right with that, David, uh, because they lack, because there was actually no really guessing game to fool everyone. They had to actually kill the killer off as a fake death, you know. But even then, it's still not much suspects after that. And when Ronan turned up towards the end, took the mask off, surprise. I I weren't even surprised at all, i got to be honest though. And if you've got to introduce a long-lost brother into a franchise, then you begin to realise that the ideas are really running short. And the one thing I don't like about this film is it totally nearly ruins the original film. Yeah. Because he actually implies that he sets Billy and Stu up, mm. you know, onto mm. the path of killing. And any sequel that does that, starts mixing with the original, I get a total instant dislike to it. So when Sydney says to, towards the end, you know, enough of this shit already, I've heard it all before, I think most viewers will be thinking the same. Yeah, it felt like he did a giant shit on the original, and it's like, yes. no, no, Billy and Stu did it, you fucker. It was their idea. I can't <laughs> believe you're actually sticking up for him, but you know, it it was kind of like Roman just waltzes in at the last minute and takes credit for something that we've held dear since the first one. In a way, that that sounds really weird, but um, <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. though, don't you? I'm totally with you. It's, it's been an emotional journey for Sid here. You know, she had, she had to deal with the fact that her boyfriend killed her mum, right? She had to deal with the fact that her boyfriend was trying to kill her. Then it's like, oh no, but all of this happened because of Roman, who you haven't seen up until the third movie. 
And like, unlike, unlike Ross, I was surprised when I found out that Roman did it, right? But the reason I was surprised was I was like, really? Him? <laughs> like, you know, like, it wasn't a good surprise. It was <gasps> fuck him. You know, it's like, him. <laughs> it's because yeah. it's because we didn't see him die. You know, when she yeah. when she lifted up the co- it was the coffin and uh, he was dead. And thinking, oh, we didn't see him die. Oh, he's the killer. So it must be a so it must be a second killer. I was a bit fooled. Yeah, yeah. They're also in a room full of movie props. I mean, it's <laughs> it was pretty telling, wasn't it? But yeah, the, uh, the fact that they shoehorned uh, Jamie Kennedy's cameo in there basically to you know, it's the exposition, exposition moment where he's just okaying all the shit things that are happening. You know, <laughs> of you know, this is gonna be the rug pull, and things that from the first film are going to be totally turned on its head. I mean, well, literally, they do have a rug pull moment in it, don't they? they <laughs> in that stupid yeah. Scooby Doo mansion. Of uh, that mansion. <laughs> At one point, the mansion is how bad the tension is here. There's one killer in the mansion with five people who know there's a killer and free it from a regular cast. There's nothing about this situation that was scary. Yeah, the, the, and the fact that they give the killer any quarter as well, by this point, you're going to, like, you know, they've been through it enough. And we've seen that. It's not very steady on his feet. Runs into the walls, into doors and stuff like that. Then yet they still back off and give him space. And one of them's like a trained policeman as well. <laughs> You'd at least think he'd have some sort of physicality about him especially when they're scrapping at the end but yeah just just the whole that whole last part just absolutely sucked although i i did actually laugh at the bit where dewey gets hit in the head with the handle end of the knife i did think that was quite funny yeah i laughed at <laughs> that but i think as well roman again roman scenes he didn't have that many in the film if memory serves thank god i know no, he's only two or three. How pissed off would he have been, though, if Mrs. Loomis and Mickey actually killed Sydney? What do you, what would he have done after that? Would he have kind of... <laughs> <laughs> would screams he be him hunting down Mickey and Mrs. Loomis? <laughs> oh, no, I'd like to think he put them up to it as well. Oh, no, no. He's been puppet no. master. He, he must have been on vacation when they started killing them. The fact that, uh, they, you know, <laughs> oh, I'll give it a year off, I'll come back, you know, in a couple of years' time and do it again, you know, uh, <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. We know how difficult it is to get anywhere in the film industry. So for this specific guy with this specific set of motives to get the director's job for Stab Free, which is a shit name for a film series, by the way, <laughs> is unbelievably convenient. Like, just absolutely unreal how everything falls into place for this guy. <laughs> like, this guy has probably got the luckiest life going but you know he's a bit jealous because he didn't have a mum yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it seems even sillier after her interview with Justin McConnell a few weeks back when you go this guy is landing on his fucking feet gets to make a movie about the ki- about the killing of his mum and uses a script to, to lure in his mystery sister like just imagine, like, if a slightly better director had applied for that. <laughs> he goes, oh, shit, my master plan. Because how else was he going to get from there? He thought he would to scream for. Did you guys like the Randy scene? 
No, definitely didn't. Again, you know, all of a sudden he had a sister that came out and when, <laughs> when, when would Randy film that? Why would someone film something so idiotic than that? You know, oh, by the way, you're watching this if I'm dead. Oh, come on. If you're going to bring Randy back like that, why kill him off in the second one? Well, I, I, I think I read that this was like a last minute decision and I think it was, you know, it's telling that they're papering over the cracks with this little scene here. But, I mean, to be fair, it is very in keeping with his character from the previous film. I mean, you, you can't deny that, but it is stupid. It's, it's ridiculous. But, you know, it, it was nice to have him back for a minute. So. <laughs> Something that I was wondering from it was the sort of horror trilogies he's speaking about. What films could he have been referring to? Because the two examples he gives, he says, is rare, and then brings up... Return of the Jedi and the Godfather 3, right? I was like, these aren't horror films, mate. So, like, are there any horror trilogies that are just trilogies or were just trilogies which also managed to do this sort of, all the stuff he's talking about of bringing back something from the first film to then make it go, ooh, I see the whole thing differently now. Because I really, I really struggled. I couldn't think of any which met the criteria he talks about. No, there's, there's nothing... That springs to mind in terms of horror. Anyway, um, thinking about a lot of films, I think Eddie with a trilogy tend to get a few more after that. But even so, Mm. they don't tend to deviate from the formula too much. They also don't really tend to emphasize continuity. I mean, Scream is actually relatively unique in the amount of continuity it's given, or at least for the time it would have been. Well, yeah, as Ross mentioned earlier, it's not very often you would get a horror sequel where the characters from the original are still the main characters. Yeah, I mean, would you normally be dead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just impressed that Sydney was still wearing um, Derek's necklace from Scream 2. Yeah, I, I noticed that bit. That was a neat little touch. For record, I thought it was an okay inclusion. It was a it was like an, an oasis in a barren desert. <laughs> but they got the bit in the video where he says that the killer this time will be almost superhuman. It's a bulletproof vest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, did see, I, I did see Dewey get a few shots off when they jumped, uh, was it jumping over the balcony when the house blew up, which was a stupid bit. <laughs> Fucking getting the death threats by fax machine. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Actually, that was, for me, that's the only bit I can remember, and I think that's the only bit that tickled me about that film, because everything else was just dire. You know what, Dewey, he's the one with superhuman strength, never mind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely ass-kick. And and incredible healing abilities as well, where it's fallen into it, where he's magically healed, like Jesus. (laughs) The, The aim for the face bit was quite funny, but I didn't like... But they personalise the conflict this much, you know, like like the Star Wars films, the screen ones don't really move on from the first one, really. It's all about repercussions to that. But it's not Sid who gets the kill shot. Mm, I didn't even notice that, I've got to be honest. I, mean, yeah. I, think, I, I, think, I think I'd fall asleep by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny you should say that. I think prior to watching it for, for this podcast, the last time I did watch it, I did fall asleep in the middle and I had to watch the rest of it the next time. <laughs> The end of the day, or the, the the best thing for Scream Three on, on its own is that if you're going to watch all these films, you're going to you're going to end up watching it. Now. If you decide one night, yeah. oh, I, I haven't seen the Scream franchise for a long time, you're going to end, you're going to watch Scream One, you're going to watch Scream Two, you're going to end up watching Scream Three just to get to Scream Four. So it's, it's going to play a pivotal part in the franchise, you know, till the end of time. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, despite yeah. how lacking it is. 
Or you can just watch the first and second. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like Ross. I've got to watch. If I'm going to watch the series, I've got to watch all of them. <laughs> But, but don't forget, don't forget, by the time 2000 came out, though, you know, Scream 3 came out in 2000, the slasher genre was, was on his legs again. You know, after, after Scream came out in 1986, we had four years of this massive little boom. And oh, yeah. by the time Scream 3 came out, the fans, were, the fans were very tired of it. And I think I said in the last podcast, you know, horror was going into a new different direction then. We had Jigsaw come in, you know, we had Hostel come in, Gore Porn was all set. And I think year 2000 is when J-Horror started to come into, into action. Yeah. So by 2000, you know, the slash genre was virtually dead and buried. Well, regardless of it running out of steam, it doesn't justify the fact that it's a badly written film. It, for me, the, the majority of it felt like a fucking soap opera. The but, but way it, yeah, the, the hanging around with the Hollywood actors and everything's really melodramatic. But this is where I got this is where I got a stick up for Wes Craven. See, it's the studio should have turned around and said, "No, we wait." They're oh, on, yeah. this, 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 this terrible thing happened in real life. We do, let's put pause and let we we release it. In, we make it in two or three years, but to put pressure on. Where's Craven, who already had lost Kevin Williamson because he had walked away to do his, his own film, which was an absolute flop and a terrible movie. Uh, you know, the Where's Craven had, he was on a hiding into nothing and I got to protect him. You know, I got to stick up for the man here because to be fair, I think even he knew, he knew deep down that this was a very, very weak film. And I'm glad the franchise didn't end then because if that was the final, you know, the final entry, then what a shame. Ross, I just thought the parallel that I think you might appreciate here, right? I think Scream Free is the be here now of uh, horror movies, right? right? The reason being, so definitely maybe um, kick-started Britpop, Britpop, it was one of the big uh, founding albums from that era. What's the story, Morning Glory? Not as good as definitely maybe, but still still very good yeah. in its own right. Then this one comes along as the very brief movement is coming to an end and then kind of shits all over it, right? <laughs> this is the end of the revival of uh, Scream 3. You know, like Britpop ends with the sound of the door closing in uh, Be Here Now. The slasher revival ends with the door staying open in Scream 3. It's a small but very intense era of movies that's, as you say, running out of gas and then the biggest one just turns a bit rubbish. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anyone who likes Scream Three. Do you know anyone? Any friends have you got who would say to you, "Oh, Scream Three is underrated." I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> no, I've never met anyone that properly likes this film. And that actually, one of the things I will say that, that I just touched upon that is okay about it is I liked seeing Sydney as a counselor. I thought that was a logical way for her character to go. I liked that she was using her trauma but helping people. Oh, that was a nice little touch. Gail and Dewey's relationship. Eh, it became boring this time. We've already done their sort of ooh, they, you know, they're so different. We've done that for two yeah. films. Can't we just even be happy this time? But that door staying open at the end, I was okay with that. I thought it was all right. It's like saying, yeah, there's still danger out there, but she's not closing her doors any longer. She's okay. She's willing to take it on. That that, that Scream Three is the only film as well. I didn't have Ghost Face Flash towards the end when the credits go up. That's because that that was the biggest clue that he's still out there. So when the credits go up, there's no sign of Ghost Face. That went down his closure. But by leaving that door open towards the end, there's a little hint that 
there was a chance the franchise could come back in some stage, which we all knew it which we all knew it was one day. We didn't think it'll take eleven years, but we again, you know, we we haven't screen five on the corner, even after this one. It's like they say in the next two Halloween films is going to be the last ever Halloween films. They not. You know damn well in six years there's gonna be another Halloween film, different director, different story to tell, because these are like iconic characters on the in the horror genre. Before we finish up by going to screen four, final thing for this movie. What the fuck is that Jane Silent Bob cameo? <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was just going to mention that. Do you think it's one for me, one for you with the directors? Because obviously Wes mm. Craven had a cameo in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back where they're making Scream 4, I think. And it turns out the killer's an orangutan in this one. So mm. I, I assume it's just the return in the favour sort of thing. They're probably both making them at the same time. I like the idea. It's only but it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the one, this silent ball to be the killer. What's your motive? Silence. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we have, in some ways that would be better. A famous, successful director going, I'm <laughs> just jealous of her. <laughs> jealous of what? All her friends have been murdered. You've lost two boyfriends, you know. <laughs> she's, as we say in uh, Scream 4, she's a professional victim, I believe, for her. Oh, no. <laughs> or celebrity victim, celebrity sorry. Victim. Uh, oh. Yes. Speaking of the fourth one, let's go to that. What do you want? Who is this? He's trying to do ghost things. I'm standing in the closet. Liar. Ooh, Scream 4. Uh, I think I, I think we're all going to have better things to say about this one. Right, Ross? Oh, definitely. Uh, Scream 4, uh, I think it was way, way ahead of its time. If it was released now, it would be better appreciated. You know, 2011 was a weird year in horror. Found footage was really in the groove. We were already on a paranormal activity third film. Twilight was as close as we had to any successful vampire tale on the big screen. And of course, the market was flooded with remakes like Fright Night and The Thing. And they, even they weren't even box office successes. Uh, so Scream 4 was an odd release that year. There wasn't a huge demand for it. Perhaps fans like myself and, you know, all of us were more excited than others. So I'm not surprised that it did not set the world alight. But I'm glad on each passing year it finds more and more love and fans because it really is an underrated slasher. This is basically a more nastier, more bloodier. In fact, this is a film that will probably appeal more to slasher fans who didn't like the first two films. It, it, it contains the same essence of what made Scream 1 and 2 popular, but also being a bit more bloody. And I mean, at the same time, oh, like Kirby, oh, she's such a fucking wonderful addition. She's probably my favourite character in, in the entire franchise. But yeah, I absolutely love Scream 4. And I, anyone's got a bad word about this, then bring it on. Okay, that's, uh, that's laying down the challenge. Steph, I got the feeling that you did not like Scream No, it, well, it's better than three. Let's put it that way. Um, it's, not bad. It's, it's, it's not a bad movie, but I, didn't, I can't say I enjoyed it, really. Uh, I'll agree that Kirby is the best character, because none of the rest actually have a character. So the, the, the kills for me were just over with quickly with people we didn't really get to know. 
the more gruesome, which I understand is playing into that sort of part of the plot, which, you know, obviously we're the same, like with remakes and that, you get gory, especially when we've we've gone through the era of torture porn as well, you know, like with the death of the friend next door and she's actually, you know, um, gutted with her intestines and we see a bit of that. That's something we didn't really see in previous films so much or anything like that. Um, but it's just... Just mindless violence of the youth of today. I don't... <laughs> it didn't have the same appeal as the previous first and second movies. It just didn't do anything for me. And that recording constantly, that... um that I forget his bloody name, where he's, like, hall pass, whatever he's fucking called, with his live stream into his blog. It just didn't... And Charlie and... And the different characters, it just didn't have anything about them. And, oh, my God, Sydney's cousin... She just shit. I just I just couldn't couldn't get to it. I just didn't get it at all. But Kirby was a good character. I didn't I didn't mind the opening though. That was a bit interesting. Very inceptiony, very film within a film within a film. I'm like, bloody hell, when are we actually gonna get to whatever's real life, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I thought that was one of those bits which is a good idea, but if you really ran the gag into the ground, it's like 50 minutes later. And still yeah, it was interesting, like I said, and then it just kind of went, right, we get it now. But I can't really. Other than sort of like having the characters back, because I remember at the time seeing the um, the posters on all the billboards and the bus stop advertisements on the side, you know, and I'm, I'm as giddy as anybody else. And I'm giddy for the next one, do you know what I mean? Even if you know, Scream 3 was shit. I was still excited about Scream 4. And even if, like I said, Scream 4 wasn't really to my taste, I'm still getting it for Scream 5. It doesn't matter. They could make another shit one. I'm still being excited for Scream 6. It's it's good to have the old characters back. And I loved how they were like, you know, you don't mess, don't fuck with the original. You know, I laughed at that because I'm like, yeah. So, because <laughs> I was like, you can't fucking touch this. But it's, with the original characters... I don't know where we can go from from here, to be honest, but that's gonna that's a different conversation for later, isn't it? So Scream 4, better than 3, but still didn't do it for me. Do we watch a different film? <laughs> I think we've just got a different taste. I have taste and you have none, Ross. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Scream 4 is, Scream 4 is everything. The 11-year break, absolutely Danny Wonders. Campbell and Courtney Cox and David, you can tell they clearly want to be in this movie. Uh, everything in this film works perfectly. I'm not saying it's, a, you know, I probably would place this quite maybe above the second film, which I wouldn't have done a couple of years ago, but I actually rewatched it this week and I'm thinking, yeah, this is just as close. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a star down from the first film. But my God, this is a four, four star rating. Jim, what did you think? Were you a fan of this one? Yeah. I remember when it came out, it was quite divisive. Um, so when I finally got around to seeing it at the cinema, I was, I was absolutely astonished how good and entertaining it was. It was, uh, you know, the, the old cliche, it was a thrill ride. Um, it was funny, it was scary, it was gory, it had everything I wanted in it. Um, and, you know, I had gone in expecting it to be a little disappointing. Um, I think at the time I hadn't seen the other films for a good few years, so it's not as if I had those fresh in my mind as well, but just it, it really surpassed my expectations and then some. Um, the, the way they kind of toyed with it kind of being a remake, you know, 
working along those lines in terms of its references and that sort of thing. Um, you mentioned the like trying to outmeta the meta-ness of the previous films in the opening. There's loads of great little callbacks that tweak and change little bits here and there um, just to make you go, oh yeah, that's a bit from that one. And But, you know, they've put their own little twist on it because they're, they're playing with that remake angle. And even when, was it Kirby at the end listing all the ones off, you think, fuck, you know, they really have run out of ideas. <laughs> the remake angle, I think, was a bit superficial, a bit like with the second one, because there should have been a stab remake in the film. I think that would have been better than just, oh, there's seven stab films now. I'd have liked it if they were rebooting stab at the same time as rebooting this, just in the, as a background detail. But where they, they talked about how, oh, it's... And, and Gail goes... It's, it's mimicking the exact occurrences of the first one, right? You go, is it? So, <laughs> yeah. we have it, someone dies, right? That's the main thing that's got in common. Someone dies at the beginning, right? Both appearance away, but there's now two, there's not one. She describes this as a pattern. Someone dies, dies, then the school, the school beauty dies, and then ends in a party. Tatum died at the party. The school beauty in this context is the fawns, right? <laughs> like, the... <laughs> The tiny, tiny pattern it could possibly have, she gets, she gets it wrong, right? And it baffles me. This is the same writer. No one went. Hey, by the way, the bit where she describes the plot from the first film—that's not actually the plot of the first film. Small niggle. You're reading way too much into a slasher film. Are, are they going off? <laughs> are they going off stab rather than the book? Because you know we haven't seen that all the way through, so <laughs> we don't Maybe. know. How it <laughs> I, I, by the way, actually really liked this film, um, despite my little moan there. <laughs> I think this, I think this is a really good film. I think the it was good to bring it back to something small and intimate. You know, I think bringing it back to Woodsboro was a good idea. Having this years later, and now we've got a nice reversal where Sydney's the successful author. It's preempting the, pre- the true crime explosion, and Gail's the one who's not the successful author any longer. It made Gail vulnerable, which I liked. The cast, you've got Alison Brie, <laughs> Emma Roberts, uh, Hayden Pantieri, Kristen Bell. Like You've got some really big names in this, or people who went on to be big names. And then you obviously got with the Culkins. In fact, actually, um, something I really enjoyed about this is the way that you go, the killers are a Culkin and a Roberts, and the motive revolves around living in the shadow of a more famous world. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic casting. I just, I have, you know, there's so much good things about this this film. At uh, the beginning, the first 15, 20 minutes, you know, it's basically, uh, it's basically a fake dream sequence in there, you know, where someone wakes up, it's all a dream. There's a different fresh angle, it's a movie within a movie, within a movie. But I thought that was pretty cool as well. I love the fact that Sydney is not a victim in this movie. She actually fights Ghostface head on. You know, she's not scared as much. She runs to the house in the first attack with uh, when she thinks Jill and Kirby getting attacked. And there's also sadness as well between Courtney Cox and David Kess character, you know, that fact that their marriage is stale. You know, he's now, he's now a sheriff and she's living in a bit of a rut. And it's the fact that she's using these murders to hopefully get their marriage back on track as well. So I think it's, I think it's wonderfully well written. And, you know, I'm actually shocked that Steph thinks this is you know marginally better than the third one because I think this is fucking wicked I can't explain it I, I mean clearly I know obviously so you, you three you know see more into it than 
than what I've got out of it. But it's just the characters didn't do anything for me. And and I know, you know, Jimmy and Gail can't be all singing, all dancing all the time, but it just, it felt like, I would imagine, being in a marriage. Well, it clearly is for them, but they've just gone tired and they don't actually love each other anymore. And that's how I felt with it. For me... This was the second most likeable cast of characters, but I will say there's a huge gap between first and second there. The kids in it, they're not necessarily believable, they're not necessarily people you want to hang out with, but I thought they were memorable. You know, they, they left an impression on me, which I'd say was far more than the new characters in either part two or three. I really liked Jill's motive. In fact, I really liked Jill's performance. And one thing I, I didn't like about this movie is that she didn't win. Frankly, if the film had just gone to credits where she's being carried out, the white fills the screen, I would have enjoyed that a lot more than what we did because by part four, and I, I expect that maybe Sydney was supposed to die in this one. You have a really good setup of them trying, of uh, Gail and Dewey knowing who she is and she's the one that's killed Sydney. That would have been really good. Yeah, that was, that was pretty neat. And it, it did seem like uh, possibly Gail could be as well in this one it did seem like anyone could be killed again but yeah I, I imagine it probably was down to studio interference to keep those original big names and faces in the series uh, it, it would have been bold for them to you know, get rid of one of the original cast I think Do is the only one who remains unscathed in this one isn't it uh, well other than getting his head caved in with a bedpan <laughs> but uh, <laughs> You know, he's, he's the, you know, for for once he comes away pretty much unscathed until that point. I, I did find Emma Roberts's character a bit of a drag. Um, you know, really brought some of the scenes down in my opinion. Uh, but with everyone else, I absolutely loved uh, Kirby. It just seemed so cool. The kind of person you just want to chill out and shoot the shit with. Really, you know, <laughs> I was absolutely rooting for her. I thought her and Charlie's relationship in it, or kind of is pining for her I quite liked that and he's got a bit of a sort of soft boy slight sexual abuser energy about <laughs> before we know he's a killer but at the same time uh, I thought they were quite charming I, 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 the kids the other guy the one who's in Saw 2 the way that he's going around filming everything that irritated me I expect that was so they could say look we're acknowledging found footage which had obviously become a big thing at this time in fact we mentioned earlier that they were Upping the gore for this one, which I guess is in response to torture films. However, while we do have a pop at uh, Saw 4 early on in the movie, I would have liked to have seen Jigsaw playing a game with someone or putting someone in a torture situation, just something to acknowledge that horror movies had changed. It wasn't all remakes by this point. That was maybe five or six years prior. But they just, it seemed like they just missed out uh, the biggest, the single most significant movement in horror at that time about your torture films oh, I guess it doesn't suit the narrative though does it <laughs> it doesn't go with their flow I think, um, you know because like when when we see um, Gail go to that screening in the barn and, we, and she discovers the webcam so we know that the killer's recording all this I feel like they should have done something with that more because obviously they allude to it you know towards the end oh we've got all this footage and it you know and I'm I mean, I can't quite remember they're saying that it's going to be published on the internet before the police yeah. come. But what if it is sort of like we'd seen elements of that uploaded to the internet before and, and sort of like they have to try and trap the killer a bit through that, you know, like 
it was going all online as they did it, or maybe even live streaming it. But it was sounding mm. awful. We, we know some events that have gone on in real life in recent times where murders have been live streamed. Because you get it nowadays, don't you? Like, yeah. oh, it's people playing video games. It's making them... Well, we've, we've <laughs> the screen movies even <laughs> reference this, don't they? But, I mean, I suppose if they'd have done that, could that actually have then do films that have to sort of take some responsibility if someone goes around live streaming bloody killing people? I mean, well, I, I think it is more of a critique of your reality TV and social media wannabe superstars, isn't it? Mm. Rather than, you know, looking at it from the found footage angle with, with all the recording. I mean, it's, it's the same that, well, it's even worse now than it was back then. I mean, stuff like Twitter and Instagram were relatively in their infancy when Screen 4 came out, but they, they've got it absolutely on the nose. You know, I don't think they could have done it any better with its comment on those, those sort of people you know, gunning for that kind of fame. And this is why, for me, each passing year, Scream 4 becomes more relevant. There's this film that came out uh, last year called Spree, and it's about this guy who... Uh, films as he's an Uber driver and he picks up people, he kills them live on the internet. And even when I was watching that film, I automatically thought of Scream 4 because Jill's is Jill's motive altogether in this film is probably the more realistic and the most relevant of the entire franchise and probably the most scariest as well because she's not doing it for anything just for fame. That's all she wants. You know, there's no long lost brother or sister nonsense. All she wants is fame and a lot of fans and that's probably a really scary motive to have because when you look at the, the generation we are now with TikTok and everything else we are heading into that direction where one day there is going to be someone who is going to go around killing people live on the internet for the peace can get to them but as well she wanted fame to be a victim rather than where it could have gone down the other angle of fame of being a killer or rather the kills the, what they had to take because obviously nobody would know who the killer was but it's a scary motive to have, though. I mean, you look at Billy and even look at Billy and Stu's motives, you know, because of the mother and the father, and the, the father, the mother went off and all that, you know. You know, there's a bit of silliness towards that, even Scream 2 as well, and let's not talk about Scream 3. But with Jill, there's a lot of realism there, you know, that this could actually happen in real life. And I totally, well, get, what Dave, yeah. I, I totally get what David said earlier as well. If the film ended on that white screen moment with Sydney dead, I would have been very, very happy. I thought that would have been a totally dark, dark ending and I, that would have risen the film up into the original level because I always felt, even even now watching it, the last 15 minutes is like an added-on studio insistence. Yeah. Kevin, William, Kevin Williamson denies it. He said that the script was originally written with that to be included. But I just wish someone had the balls to say, no, nah, let's end it here. Let's end it where Sydney's dead and she've, has, she've achieved what she wanted to achieve. And that would have made Scream 4, you know, oof, yeah, this is now a modern horror slasher film. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. I think they should have killed him off, um, and, and or killed Sydney off or what have you, because it is stretching it a bit thin now. Although part of me did enjoy it when, you know, Sydney got her own back, it just purely because I mm. thought yeah. um, her cousin was a whiny little bitch and you needed a little fucking slap. <laughs> um, so I really... <laughs> And, you know, like, I just want to be famous because I'm sick of you stealing our limelight and being the only press got worth having, you know. And I think even earlier on when um, Kirby's like, ooh, Sydney looks good, she's not got no scars. And, and her mum's like, 
I was Maureen's sister. I've got scars. And it's, and you wonder, obviously, you know, because obviously her sister had been murdered and, you know, and not all that go on with her family. But you wonder if some of that had obviously rubbed off on her daughter. Not obviously, her mum didn't find it in the same way that her, her daughter did. But it, yeah, I just think, I don't know where they could possibly go with it from here. Um, I mean, there's obviously got away, but it would have been good if they had have killed Sydney off. That would have been a pretty like fuck moment. Do you know what I mean? That they mean business. Because what 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 they done is obviously is you know I go back to Snob. We think again from Scream. You know where proper slasher fans don't appreciate Scream because of the kid element. You know which I totally do understand and get, even though I disagree with it. Now if Scream Four ended quite likely where David said at that moment before we got to the hospital scene, then even those fans might have jumped on board saying, yeah, this has got a fucking pretty downbeat ending. The fact that then it goes then to the kiddie sort of, you know, silly 20 minutes running around an ambulance, where uh, running around the hospital, where the only reason Dewey finds out because Courtney Cox makes a stupid little remark about, how does he know about the scar? Which is an absolutely silly throwaway moment. You know, it, I loved that. Did because you? I liked that. Yeah, the reason I liked that bit, it, it didn't justify the, include the last 20 minutes, but the reason I liked that was because it's consistent with the idea that Dewey's a slightly shit cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, like, she immediately clocks this. Although, it brings in a plot hole, right? Because Jill can't have been the one who stabbed her. Right. Because Jill was at home when the stabbing happened. It happened in the barn. So that had to be Charlie. Yeah, but she got picked up, didn't she, by Kirby? Yeah, but she goes around to the house, and they've just seen her, and then they have a weird exchange about her leaving her phone, and then she fucks off to the car. But I was like, at what point did Charlie say, by the way, stabbed her right in the shoulder, right in the shoulder? Like, it just seems a weird thing for her to know. Um, oh. Because a bit where uh, she then, like, very, 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 very doing the bit from the end of the first one, where just like the first one, they're not making sure that she's dead before they hurt themselves. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, her jumping through the table and stuff like that. It was all quite a nice callback, but uh, that irritated me that she should not have known she was stabbing the shoulder, but I loved that Gail immediately clocked that. Did everyone spot the biggest clue? It was she was the killer right at the beginning of uh, when they, when they, she was sitting in class and every every pupil's mobile phone rang about they, they found the bodies, you know, in the house, and the only person's phone that didn't ring was hers. If you watch that, if you watch that scene back, it's it's there in your face. Everyone's in our rooms, mobiles rang apart from us, and yep, she's the killer because <laughs> she probably sent the text. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I did not think of that. Yeah, no, it did. You know, it didn't occur to me either. I mean, I, you know, this could have been on silent for all I know. <laughs> I believe uh, a lot of fans think there has to be a third killer for the film's kills to work. Right, explain. There's websites that'll do this better than me. If you've had people just Google Scream 4, third killer theory. If you look at the inconsistencies with where characters are at different times, it doesn't add up. And the script originally had three killers, so it may well be a hangover from that. Because Alison Bree's character, who, by the way, was really funny. I loved a bit where she's slagging off her readers and then goes, oh, tell you what. We can get, get even more people to read your message after, as if there's some sincerity there. But the bit where she dies, for instance, both of them are accounted for. You know, we, both of them already have reasons that were not there. Never picked that up. Never picked that up. 
Also, the bit where uh, Sydney's being chased around the uh, house, around, around uh, is, it, is it Kirby's house for him? Yeah, I um, think so. No, the next door neighbours, the next door neighbours, remember the girl when it... Oh, then. Was it, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. That cool moment when I'm in, the, I'm, in the, I'm in the wardrobe and we all thought he'd be behind Kirby, it was, it was actually in the house across the road, wasn't it? Oh, no, but it wasn't one I was oh, meaning. Right. I was At meaning, the end. It's me the bit where... Yeah, that is Kirby's house because they pick, pick her oh, up. Oh, right, apologise, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I'll come to that kill in a sec. Yeah. But with that one, that that the bit with Kirby, uh, Kirby's house, where the locations of Charlie and Jill also don't work. Where one of them's uh, downstairs, the other's under the bed, but she's still being chased by someone wearing the ghost face outfit. It doesn't doesn't work. And it necessitates a third killer. As we go, if you, if you, there's a really good Wikipedia page about this theory. Yes. I'd recommend everyone Google's it because it describes it better than I do. But that scene with the closet, I thought that was really good misdirection. Yes, I, I agree. I, think, I thought it's, a, it's one of the best set pieces in the entire Scream franchise because everyone, everyone thought, you know, oh, this Stanley Bain. Because if you actually watch the trailer with Scream 4, it actually plays out that it's actually Stanley Bain Kirby. I, if you watch the Screen 4 trailer, I won't see that again. I mean, she, uh, the, the, the way they've cut their brunette lead, they, it seems as if the ghost face has come out of that wardrobe. So, of course, you've seen mm-hmm. the trailer, you're expecting that to happen. And then, of course, when it does happen and she's looking across the window and it's the friends, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And I also love uh, Sydney's reaction. First of all, she's scared, but it's, uh, then she's got to face up to her demons. You know, it's a bit like that lowish, lowish stored moment in H2O. Like, ghost face is back. Mm-hmm. I'm going across that fucking house to sort this out once and for all. You know, yeah, it's it's beautiful, it's brilliant. Wasn't there in the trailer? I remember watching the trailer back in day. Didn't it show obviously Courtney Cox taking off the screen mask, which is obviously when she goes into it, the ghost face mask when she goes yes, in the bar. Yes, yes, it does. Yes, well, yes, it does. I remember in well watching it recently. That I think I remember what when I watched the trailer at the time. I think I got excited over the prospect that Courtney Cox, uh, as Gail, does don the mask. I don't know. I, I think that would be quite interesting. I don't know what, what how that would all pan out or what her... Maybe it's a motive. She wants to actually write a new book and needs some material, so just becomes Ghostface. I remember the headlines, oh, no, Courtney Cox is the killer. <laughs> as if, I was thinking, as if they're going to put that in the trailer, Courtney Cox is the killer. You know, stupid. Absolutely stupid. I think the other kills were really quite nice. The bit in the car park was very relatable. I imagine all of us have had instances we were walking... If you're a car park at night, you're like, ooh, someone's going to jump out. They could get me. Um, you know, same with the home invasion bit around at the uh, Robertsy's house. The bit with the uh, Jill's mum dying. Now, I thought that was really sad, uh, partially because she's played with the president from Battlestar Galactica. So I was like, yay! <laughs> also, just because she's one of the char- one of the characters who is, you know, who's experienced a big loss, like Sydney, she's grieving there. And I think her death has a dramatic impact. You know, there's a point about that she uh, she's like, oh yeah, nice. I have scars from uh, from her death, right? You know, not literal ones, metaphorical ones. And I liked the way that the film kind of dealt quite respectfully with uh, with the character's trauma from this one, whilst also still being a pretty fun uh, slasher film. I thought I thought she was the killer on stage. So what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought it was a fun little moment uh the, the knife for the letterbox but it, it also goes to show you the lengths that jill would go to to get her time in the spotlight as well you know she even says at the end she even killed a mum to get to this point so <laughs> it just goes to show how off the rails she is 
Yeah, I think I think if there's any issue that I had with this one, really, or any substantial issue, I didn't really like Gale being out of the narrative from quite an early stage. But at the same time, it was probably also necessary because you don't want to end up in the situation where you have people that you know can't die in a close quarter situation with someone who's trying to kill them. Unless so. they actually kill one of them off, which they should have done. And then it'd be consistent with with Wes Craven's ethos of you fear the director because you go shit. I didn't expect that to happen. It's quite strange, or for someone who you know he refused to do any Freddy sequels until, of course, the new Nightmare, that he instantly come back to Scream franchise each and every time. You know, there was no there was no dilemma. You know, there was no, he never refused it once. Yeah, you know, he's more than willing to you know to do direct parts two, three, and four. So fair play to him, you know. That's why I mentioned in Screen 5, I think I'll be a little bit of freshness to it, especially with the people who behind it as well, which I think are very creative. Have you guys got anything else you want to say about Screen 4 before we uh, start wrapping things up? It's just really about, um, like, the phone calls, and it, where they keep saying, oh, yeah, I, you rang, uh, you, you sent me a text from this phone. It's like, well, no, I didn't. It's it, Almost it's harking back to th- in 3, where they're using different, you know, the voices of um, the different characters. So that sort of got me gorse a bit. I didn't like, it just pissed me <laughs> off. <laughs> I picked up that. I, I like this little thing where everyone's checking the back seat before they get in the car. That was a fun little touch. Um, and I quite liked uh, seeing the, the police officers that they had a good rapport going. Uh, Anthony Anderson, and Adam Brody, mm, they yeah. they had a fun little double act going, and I liked the little um, bit of jealousy that Gail had towards uh, uh, Dewey's second in command. I, I forget her name. I do apologise. Yeah, that, that that was a fun little subplot, and yeah, everyone in it was was really good as well. Like you know, couldn't fault uh, at all, and. Yeah, the the kill as well with the policeman on guard outside Jill's house. That was funny. Like trying to subvert mm. the tropes and so on. You know, wait, if I'm the one that leaves, but they're trying to copy it, am I going to get killed or will you? And, and then it turns out that they both do anyway. But the way it unfolds was very funny. Uh, it, it was just, it was as funny as it was horrifying. But stabbing the face, like, they weren't fucking around on this one when it came to kills. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the stabs in it, I guess, were a lot more ferocious in this one. Like, uh, the girl next door, I've, I've forgotten her Trudy, name. I when think. She, when, right, yeah, when he comes out the wardrobe and he's stabbing her, like, through the hand and everything, he, like, she's putting it up to stop it and... Yeah, it was just a lot more graphic and detailed in this one, as you say, the, the ante with the gore and so on. Yeah, it's just a, a lot more to it, even subtle things like that. It was really, really neat little touches. I thought it was just Kevin Upson written a fun, beautiful script. We got a lovely little final destination in Garg. Uh, I love the fact that when it came to Kirby's time to die, which I which I did hate, by the way, and still do now. I love the fact that she took on Ghostface and actually won, because <laughs> not, not many people do. I know yeah. on, on the telephone call she answered all the questions right, and I also think they they hid the killers very very well in this film. You know, I, I it was a long long time. I I never thought it was Jill. I gotta be honest though. You know, I still I thought she was still hiding in the bed, and even when uh, Kalkin was 
tied up on the chair. I was still thinking, oh, who's the killer? Who's the killer? So even mm-hmm. when he when he got the knife and stabbed Kirby, that was an unexpected moment as well. So I I think it's it's everything we wanted in a sequel after the depths of hell with Scream Three. I totally agree. I did not call either of the killers when I first watched this. They did well. I mean, I, I I don't know why. Looking back now, obviously it's more obvious this drill, but. Yeah, I, I, and the motives were believable as well. And I say the only thing that does let this film down is the last 15 minutes. I, I think, that, as I said, the hospital scene shouldn't really be added into the film. That's the only thing that stops this from being a masterpiece for me. Even so, I thought it, you know, it was still quite entertaining in terms of the way they kill her in the end. <laughs> oh, no, and, I, do, and I agree with that. Jim, I agree with that. I think, you know, I, I watch it and I still get good and like the fact that the little liners and all that. And you know it plays it plays towards a typical screen finale, but I just think if it, like I said, if it ended where it should have ended, this would have really risen the film up, up a notch. We've talked about a very very dark horror sequel, which would have suited the times really. Absolutely, yeah. sometimes less is more. Yes, exactly. That's the very sum it up. And Jim, did you call the killers when you watched it? No, absolutely not. <laughs> but I, I, I was guessing right till the end, and and that bit where Kirby does get killed, like that's. Just like whoa, yeah. You, know, you do you do not see that coming, and it was well, you know, we, we all took a shine to her character, so it was even more upsetting how <laughs> she was killed off. Well, but you, Steph, did you see did you see the killers? Coming? No, I don't think I did for any of the movies, to be honest. For some first watch, so no. So I did was was surprising with um, Charlie. Definitely didn't see that because obviously it's all reminiscent of the whole Stephen Casey thing from the first one, isn't it? So. You know, she's just overjoyed to have beat him. We're overjoyed for Kirby because Kirby's such a cool character. She's <laughs> beat him, yes! And then trying to save him, you know, especially since them two are sort of hitting it off as well. And no, he's just bloody knife plunging. I think that was a great bit of misdirection as well with, you know, because throughout the film, you can tell he's like, he really likes her and he feels like he's being ignored. But, you know, eventually when she does start taking a shine to him because they're spending a bit more time together, he ends up fucking killing her anyway. But I, I did like the little touch where they're, you know, he thinks they're emulating what Billy and Stu did in the first film and she just stabs him straight through the heart. That was, mm. that was very funny. I've got a quick question about the first film here. Something bugged me that I didn't bring up earlier, but earlier, I'm sure one of you guys will have a really good explanation for this. In the first scene, which Steph is just reminding me of, Drew Barrymore originally says she has no boyfriend, and then goes, it reveals she does have a guy, Steve, whatever his name is, she goes, goes, he's big and he plays football and he'll kick the shit out of you, right? And I was re-watching it, I thought, oh, she actually does have this guy because she introduced a guy even like his guts come out. Why was she lying about being single? Because she probably was one of the first people to invent plenty of fish or something, you know. She was on the, <laughs> she, she was on the prowl. She was keeping her options open. <laughs> I mean, women do like a guy with a deep voice, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, plus, I guess if you've just got some random person ringing you on the phone you, you, you don't know who... Who cares mm. what that information you divulge to? Okay, let's start wrapping this one up.
must be a good old trip down memory lane. But we normally finish off in a ranking, so let's do our own personal rankings. If you haven't guessed them already from what we said, mine go as follows. In fourth place is Scream Free. I will give Scream Free two stars. In third place is Scream 2. I will give Scream 2 three stars. If Ross is going to hate me, I think Scream 2 is not as good as Urban Legend. What? No. <laughs> now, in second place, Jamie, he obviously still listens to our show. He'll be like, yes. You, you, you <laughs> don't commission you on it. Yeah, the box out from 88 films. Out now. Anyway, <laughs> so in second place, Scream 4, which I will give three and a half or four stars. Let's say four stars. And number one is Scream, which is a five star film. Jim, what's your rankings? Surprising no one. Number three is at the very bottom with two stars. See, this is a race for second place in this one. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Screen 2 is third with four stars. You know, it's a great film. I think it's very good. Um, I'm struggling to come up with a favourite. I think four might pip the original. Oh, for me. fuck! But again, I would give those two four stars each as well you know a star rating is pretty superficial really i I would give one two and four four stars each but you know my favorite i'll probably say four you know bloodydisgusting.com just did a column agreeing with that take so maybe it's maybe it's gonna catch on maybe four will be the new one uh, Steph, what are your rankings? You don't fuck with the original, Jim. Do you know what I love? Jim has, been, Jim has been great all night. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's back on form, and then he goes to say that last thing at the end. <laughs> do, do you know what he says? Do you know what Jim says? The original's all right. <laughs> oh, oh, <yeah. laughs> right. Oh, Jim just understates everything. Like, you, like earlier we said, did you like Scream 4? He goes, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they've had to be best of the franchise. So I was waiting for this bit, you see. Jim's going to be saying Friday's pick on Jim now. Right. That's oh, <laughs> a poker face. Um, Steph, what, what, yeah, what's your Surprising ranking? Surprising no one. Three is last for me. One star. Mm. Uh, third place, um, Scream 4. Two stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, Scream 2, second. I'd probably give that three and a half. And Scream, the original, the first place for me, and I'd probably give that four, four and a half stars. And uh, Ross, what are your rankings? Oh, this is hard. I'm not on, That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not on, I'm not on commission like David, so I can't say, you know, number four, <laughs> Scream, a film called Clapboard Jungle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously number four, Scream Three. This is where it gets harder for me. See, uh, I'm gonna have to put third place. Uh, sorry, Scream Four. Uh, uh, Scream. Sorry, fourth place, Scream Three, two stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, third place, uh, it's gonna have to be Scream Four. I'm sorry, but a uh, four stars. And Scream Two, second place with four stars. And Scream One, masterpiece, five stars. Cool. 
So we have uh, almost got, got complete harmony in this group here. <laughs> so Scream, Scream, of course, is more than just a film franchise. It is also a TV show. Don't worry, we're not about to go through all three seasons in the movie of that. I just want to know, though, if people had general thoughts. Personally, I reckon Slashers, and I appreciate this, not the only slasher with a TV show, I think slashers are really ill-suited to recurring characters. You know, if you're going to be doing a uh, slasher as a TV show, uh, Harper's Island is the way to go. Harper's Island, you kill a member of a cast in every single episode, and it was designed as a standalone season. Whereas, when you have uh, two seasons in a movie, and uh, I know it was a reboot season, but when you have two seasons in a movie with recurring characters and a ongoing plot, I just don't think it's very scary. Like, you're watching these people for, what, like, 20 hours? You know none of them are going to be the killer in it. They try and imply one of them's complicit and then just fucking throw that out of a window um, <laughs> later on. I might delete that bit because that be considered a spoiler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> then, then we have uh, the... Uh, the the movie, right? You know, there's no, never, never a sense of main characters being in danger because they're the main characters. And you also figure out really quickly who did it because the only people who never run into the killer. I, I think you stole my thunder there. I, the, the worst thing that could happen to the Scream TV show was Harper's Island. Once you release something like that, which if you if anyone hasn't seen that, you need to get on it straight away. It's such well-written, so tight. You, you're still guessing the killer up and towards the last 25 minutes, most probably, of the, of the entire show. There's something quite all right about the Scream TV series. It's, it's really daft in it, you know, the killings are a bit lame. The, the weird thing for me is that this, the Scream season three reboot, they actually had the original voice back. They actually had the original the mask back. It was a bit more violent. It was a bit more torn of the films. I actually quite liked it, even though it's harshly been mauled by critics and fans. So either I watched it with low expectations and can we think that's not that bad. But, you know, it's, if you're going to watch a Scream TV show, then I'd say recommend season three because it's actually got ghost facing back in all its power. So they don't follow on. No, that's the weird thing about Scream 1 and Scream 2. If you invest in this TV series, series 1 and 2, you know, but in a day, because you and I were talking about this a lot to me when we were watching it. Uh, season two and ends with this big massive cliffhanger, which is never going to be resolved, which will really piss you off because if you've invested so many episodes with these characters, you want to see how it ends. If like, the movie did the same thing, the TV movie, where they also bring a cl- bring a cliffhanger in yes. there too. And it's all building up this lore they've been building up since the very first episode. Yeah, so we, like yes, we're never going to get to see that. And of course, they rebooted it, which stopped fans from watching. But yeah, it's quite, I'm not saying it's an outstanding, you know, TV show. But it's, especially with Scream season one and two, when you've got the different ghost face, suddenly with a different ghost mask, you know, so it's a bit mm-hmm. unique. Actually, at least in the, in the season three, they bring back the old imagery, which, you know, is more in tune of the films. But, uh, but again, no, there is a TV series called Slasher, which probably is superior to the Scream TV show. So if you're going to watch, if you're going to waste your life watching anything, I, I would recommend that show instead. Does the TV series, uh, the Scream one, uh, reference anything from the movies? No, it's, it's, it, it, pretend it's like a, a DC universe, a set in an alternative world. Right. It's strange because it's also not very playful or self-aware. In fact, there's hardly any meta commentary in it whatsoever. The thing that the series is best known for, the ditch. There's some cool, kill- there's some cool kills in it, all. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it, it doesn't have to keep you watching, doesn't it? The mystery and all that. And I, oh, who's the girl? Is it Enon? I can't remember the name now. She's so annoying in the first episode. But then, but then I come towards the end. She becomes my favorite character, and you know, I can't remember who name what her name was. Carlson was it? Carlson Young played her. Is it? Is it got like comedy elements like the film does? Or yeah, they play, they play, they play by mistake. That you got right. like a Randy, you got like a Randy clone who knows his movies and all that. You know, yeah, it's just quite. It's 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 a little concept of a mystery to it. You know, bit of a backstory, but. I mean, if you watch the films, you're going to watch it, or no? I think the character you're talking about is Audrey Jensen. Audrey, that's it. By yes, far the most likable in the in Because she starts off very annoying, doesn't she? And I think, you know, I hope she gets killed straight away. But by episode three, I'm thinking, oh my, please don't kill her off. She's the best person in there. Jim, did the show ever interest you? Did you watch any of it at all? Uh, no, I, I haven't. Um, no, just I, I, I struggle to get into a lot of TV shows as it is. I mean especially American ones they tend to be a big commitment usually we get 20 mm. odd episodes an hour long for a season um, yeah 99% of the time if I'm looking for something to watch I'll watch a film on a TV show so I'll, if I wanted to watch Scream I'd watch the films <laughs> and of course on the subject of the films you can't keep a good killer down they always come back for more and Scream is coming back with a fifth one which I believe is called Scream Legacy is that right? no just called Scream oh I thought I flexed in my head Scream just called Scream they're ripping off the Halloween 2018 so this is going to be Scream 2021 oh can it not be five Cream no, no. <laughs> from what Why from not? what we gathered from what we gathered doing the news for Oracle Films, all the all the official logos and all the leaks have just been simply scream. So yeah, they caught me in David Gordon Green's Halloween, which one of the things I don't like anyway. I mean I think that's like the third Halloween film, which is called Halloween. So we're now gonna have two films called Scream. It's like they just announced Texas Chainsaw Massacre's new film's gonna be called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's bollocks, isn't it? Anyway, yeah, when, if, you, if you if you listen to this and you're reading any news posted by that, don't worry, it's gonna say five cream. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, if I were um, if I if, if I were there, what I would have done is I would just I'd have to have balls in fucking uh, in like a wheelbarrow to do this, right? But they go up. Go up to where it says scream and then add an S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is being done by Radio Silence, the uh, people who made Ready or Not. And Ready or Not is one of my favourite films of recent years, one of my favourite horrors of recent years. Exceptional stuff and would have been the best film of 2019 if I hadn't also seen Freaks that year. It, okay. So, I, I basically, I could not think of a better creative team to be doing this one. I fully agree with you. I think Ready Not was one of the best art films of the last 10, 15 years. And from all from all the rumours we are hearing, and because I've covered this a lot on the news, Kevin Williamson has actually said that it's probably the best script he's ever read, considering the Scream film. And the rumours we are hearing that they, they, they've nailed it. They really, really have. So I, we know nothing about it. I've only seen two imageries of Courtney Cox's, uh, you know, Gail running around with a red coat on. That's all I've seen. It's brilliant the fact that they've kept it such secrecy and a mystery at the moment. I mean, it, this has already been filmed. It's already been canned. You know, it's already in this can. It could get released next week if it wanted to. And the fact we still haven't even had a trailer or anything, they are really keeping their cards close to their chest. Do we have a rough release date for it? Or January the fourteenth, twenty twenty-two. 
Okay, so it'll be held up because of COVID and stuff. Yes, yeah, it's supposed to be out this year, but they've delayed it until January next year. Well, know how good it is based off Corny Cox's haircut. I was, I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> my worry for it, the only thing my worry is, is that uh, they might go down the route of killing Sydney off in the first 15 minutes, which I think will be a bit of a downer straight off. I, I understand if they were going to kill her, they should have killed her in Scream 4. But I think we in this age now of horror films where everything's got to be, you know, big bang set piece, a more better way to kill Sydney off. And I hope not because we just shed four you know four adventures but if you could say that she survived it all and I just hope they treat her with a bit of more respect than doing that I would be the total opposite if they kill her off in the first 50 minutes I will be the obnoxious person that stands up in the pods I'll be I'll be as noisy as the audience has screamed too you kill her off in a heroic end or kill her off as being a hero towards the end where she saves everyone but not in the first 20 minutes Jim are you guys excited about the thought of another scream film absolutely yeah, it'll be interesting to see what direction it takes. This time, I mean, it's going to be, what, over another 10 years since the previous one. Uh, it'll be good to see what angle it takes. Uh, will it be self-referential based on more recent horror trends, that sort of thing? Um, so I am, I'm intrigued by it. I mean, you know, I really enjoyed Radio or Not as well. That was all right. <laughs> Um, so yeah I'm, I'm keen to see where we go with this and Steph you're excited about yeah it? like I say you know three and four might not have been my cup of tea like but yeah absolutely I'm always looking forward to another one and I like to see the return of you know David Courtney and and Nev Campbell but I mean what would be interesting is I mean we don't know obviously the the body how the plot's going to pan out but what if uh, Sydney not sacrifices herself, but sort of puts herself in front of whoever's going to get killed. Maybe it's like a, maybe she's had kids by now or something, because we don't know where she's up to mm. with this. So, yeah, I think I'm with you, David. I think if she died early on, you know, as, as much as I love her being in the films and I, and I love her character in it, I do think one of the original three have to go. I just, I, I, I don't know how they can stretch that out again. I've heard some casting rumours about it. I mean, when I say rumours, like this, like this has been in the press. So there's word that Billy's met Billy and Stu are coming back in it, right? I really hope that's just misdirection on their part because Billy's obviously supposed to be dead in it. And frankly, I'm, I'd be surprised if Stu was alive mm. either. So I hope that's just them fucking around and not actually part of it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they should really bring anybody back from the previous films. To my knowledge, everyone snuffed it. And the other rumour about it is that this one's not going to be very meta. No, they're going to play it as a straight straight horror. And surprisingly, Kevin Williamson said, you know, it actually works. He's glad he's not going down, you know, it's not going down the same route as the first, the first four films followed. It's, it's a great chance for Scream. I mean, we, we 2022 now, we, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's been 11 years since the last one. It's a new generation of fans. And... Uh, as you said, the, 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 these guys are quite creative. If they can deliver half what they done with Ready or Not, they're in for a really good treat for that. Mm, absolutely. I mean, Ready or Not, really fucking funny, you mm. know, really enjoyable. And also, for all the people who moan that uh, horror films shouldn't uh, be didactic or have political messages, they must hate Ready or Not. But granted, Ready or Not explicitly worked off a metaphor of the ruling classes working off the blood of the working classes, right? It was 
it was no, there's nothing subtle about it, but it was such a great little anti-establishment horror film. Uh, you know, I think Red you're not if you haven't seen it, folks. You should. Anyway, folks, uh, another thing that, we, that you should see, we will be back at some point in the future. Don't know what films are going to be next, but it'll be something brilliant. We've got potentially another exciting interview coming up, but we won't reveal who that's with right now. We've got potentially other series coming up. You know, we've got... Uh, Got a number of different ideas. Heck, there's a new saw film coming out next month. Maybe we'll all be on board for that one. <laughs> all I know is that we will be happy to be recording this, and we hope that you'll be happy to listen to this. Uh, anyone got any final thoughts on Scream before we go? I think if, for me, if Scream 5 can sort of um, replicate that feeling we, we experienced when we watched Drew Barrymore in that opening 15, 20 minutes of Scream 1, and like you say, the plane is straight. If they can recreate that feeling and then continue on from that, I think they'll be on to a winner. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do now with it. I think that the fact that these guys are massive Scream fans, they wouldn't have taken on the franchise because, they, you know, with any disrespect to Wes Craven, I've, uh, Courtney Cox, David and Neve Campbell have actually said they would, they would never go back to the franchise because of Wes Craven until they read the script. They were blown away by it all. You know, these are good signs. I think there's a lot of thought and a lot of effort going into this movie. And the fact the studio are confident they can wait a year to release it as well, especially in the January, which is not very, uh, you know, a, a, a scare fest month. You know, you, you, you would think Halloween, you know, October to be released. I think the studio are quite confident that they got hit on the hands here. And I think it'll start 2022 with a bang. Any final thoughts, Jim? Um, yeah, I just realised that we've, you know, spent a good couple of hours talking about Scream and you know we haven't addressed the fact that there's been four films with a character called Gail Weathers <laughs> <laughs> yeah no we have <laughs> it's complete thank you very much everybody see you everyone later bye, bye. <laughs>